All right, so Mr. Stan Daniels, we got Stanley Daniels on the air. Um, entrepreneur, athlete, a little bit of everything. Kind of what, you know, business and bucket, buckets really embodies, really have the value and the experience through all of it. So, you know, we're excited to be able to talk about your previous athlete experience, what that was like as a, a young man, and how that's really leveraged probably the skills and abilities into entrepreneurship and the business ventures you've gone in today but i mean i'll just kind of tell the the crowd and everybody who's tuning in how how we met you know young lost shane gillette out of college moving out to the big city and you know not really knowing anybody worked with a, a sales and marketing company and worked with this guy and he was one of the the top performers at the company and you know i always talk about vibing with individuals and having that natural attraction and just someone i always you know vibed with and had a good attraction to and you know kind of considered a mentor and be able to learn through through your lens and your experiences cuz i would like to say i had a swiss army knife of experiences like yourself i mean sure working on the farm gave me a lot of skills and abilities but i didn't quite have the worldly experience you did from living in lots of different cities lots of different experiences so i was always curious to hear your story and Excited to relay that to the to the audience today and and really just uh, kind of talk talk shop there. So yeah, thanks for coming in. I'm excited to be here, man. It's uh, it's awesome that you you know what you're doing now, and I'm excited to. I was really excited to come and, and uh, be on your show, and I look forward to the conversation. And I hate bringing up Joe Rogan all the time because he's not the only podcaster out there, but you know he's one I align with quite frequently because I'm a, a sports guy and he talks MMA as well. Yeah. But I was watching the David Chappelle, um, Darnell Rawlings one on today while I was working, and he was talking about how the podcast network's so cool and just so opposite of how, I guess you would call this journalism was and, and how it was, because you had one media conglomerate or one successful media company, whether it's radio or TV, and they just wanted to eat everybody alive and didn't want to help anybody. It's like, man, if Stan's on my show and he goes to someone else's show, that's a slap in the face. Like, they need to be on my show and watch my show only. And why I'm excited to join the po podcasting atmosphere is everyone's here to help each other out. Like, everyone's like, oh, this is what you need to do. These are the things we got to go through. Like, there's enough, you know, room for everybody. And only, I feel like, so many people will last through it all because you know how it goes. Things are cool for a while and then you just run out of content or whatever and just die off. But right. um, I think that's what makes this so cool. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, for me, it's exciting that, like I said, that you're doing this because I just feel like it aligns with who you are as a person. Right. Um, you know, obviously the, the interaction part, but more so just, you know, talking sports, talking business, meeting people, learning, you know, while you're while you're talking to people and and also, you know, expressing a story to, you know, the audience. It, it literally is fitting that you're doing this. I'm ex And I, again, I'm excited to, to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to, to dive in, uh, you know, further throughout. You know, this will be technically be business episode three. Okay. Um, but I, you know, can't wait till there's hundreds of episodes and look back at, you know, episode one, two, three and see where things are and, and where things come about. Because like you said, I feel like this really just is a lot of skill sets that I've developed as an individual. And this is the perfect platform and no one runs it but myself. So that's even more exciting. Which is the best part, too. It's more fulfilling when you get to episode 100 or 200 or however far. Uh, because you know it was just you, you know what I mean, and you, you you know you grow it and develop it, and that's the that's the journey. That part of the journey is the is the best part. So yeah, let's get it going. Awesome. So I always kind of chronicle chronologically get things kicked off, and 
Um, you know, I don't know fully of your upbringing, but I think that'll be a good place to start. And we could kind of wind through going to the NFL and uh, other sports experiences to how, you know, where we had met in the business ventures you've had. Because how long have you lived in Seattle now? Uh, since, what, 2003? Dang, long yeah, time. 2003. Obviously, the years I was playing, I wasn't here, but I always came right back. Do you feel like you are a Seattleite or would you, like if someone asked you, you know, at the grocery store, where are you from? Would you say Seattle? No, not at all. <laughs> Do you, does it feel awkward saying it? Uh, no, it's, I mean, for me, it's like, are you from Seattle? I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> Seattle. The reason not, I, that's not, a, that's not a knock on Seattle people, but you know, it's just, there's definitely a difference in, 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 in you know, people that are, you know, from different regions and I happen to be from South, South you know, Southeast San Diego, so that's a very specific part of that region, and you know it's completely different than you know the people that are from Seattle. So. I, I I completely agree. <clears throat> I was talking to the first business uh, guest that I had on, and I was like, "Dang, I haven't realized like this October is like seven or eight years, eight years I think that I've lived in Seattle." And you know, you put through the math of your life. Like technically, I have to kind of claim I'm from Seattle, but it doesn't feel right. You know, like you said, yeah. the auras of who the individuals are and the type of personality is completely opposite of me. But I mean, really, at the end of the day, I am from Seattle. Like I've lived here a long time. Like as an adult, I've really only been in Seattle, so it's it's kind of a, a trippy thing to think about. Yeah, and, and then and then it all just goes back to too, like back to like what you more so identify with too. You know, like if. If you, as a, if you, as an adult, where are you at? And obviously you're a little younger than I am, but, you know, as an adult, if you relate more to this place, then you can, of course, say, yeah, you know, I'm a Seattle guy. Yeah. I was born originally, you know, in this place, but I'm a Seattle guy. You know what I mean? So, I get it. But, yeah, no, anytime people <laughs> ask me, I'm like, nah. No way, I'm, man. I am not from Seattle. Not in the longest shot. Yeah. So, San Diego, you know, obviously, I've been to San Diego at the SeaWorld, you know, a little fun California trip when I was in high school, but I've never really legitimately been to San Diego. Obviously, everyone says weather-wise, one of the coolest places. And when I first think San Diego, I'm like, oh, Stan's from San Diego, probably had a good family, like, you know, had the, the storybook story. So tell us a little bit about the background of your version of San Diego and what it was like going to school there and growing up. Yeah, so I'm from San, I'm from Southeast San Diego. So if you literally went to Google Maps and you typed in Southeast San Diego, uh, a nice little separate map would pop up. Each, <laughs> each map, there's labels of every part, you know, different, different like subsidies in Southeast San Diego. So um, it's not uh, anything like the San Diego that you see on TV or vacation to, or it's nowhere near SeaWorld. It's, <laughs> um, you know, I grew up in a, <clears throat> it's a pretty, pretty uh, gang infested, uh, drug infested, part of San Diego. Um, heavy gang territory. It's a majority um, blood, you know, set area, you know, if you know the difference between Bloods and Crips. And um, yeah, it was not that, it was not the part you go to visit. Hope You know, hopefully you never find yourself in Southeast San Diego. If you do, you need to get back on the main street <laughs> and whip around. Try to get the Plug in the ways app. <laughs> freeway, yeah, it's not so. I, yeah, I grew up there. I mean, I'm the oldest of eight. You know, all boys, one girl. Um, you know, we we had it very rough growing up in that area. Um, you know, obviously, like the you know the the, the drug and crack epidemic was, you know, was huge. Um, my father was uh, a marine um, and was actually murdered when I was three. 
Um, so mom was, you know, had to had to start, you know, I, you know, I was three. My brother Sean was two or was just born at the time. Um, so that was tough on her, obviously, to start start raising children with, you know, your partner. Now just gone. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, you know, there's, you know, ended up being a total of eight of us. But, yeah, we grew up rough, man, you know. Um, my mom, prior to 2002, was addicted to drugs herself. Um, you know, stepdads, a couple stepdads after that that were all gangsters, criminals, drug dealers. And, you know, our house, unfortunately, was, you know, the, the house you go to when you, you know, want something. You know what I mean? So coming home from school, I'd have to navigate, you know, kicking people out of my bathroom to, you know, throwing away needles so my brothers don't, you know, touch them or on accident or something to, you know, fighting, fighting people, you know, to, you know, get out of my house. And it, it was, it was a tough atmosphere and environment to grow up in. Um, and, you know, when you grow up in that environment as the oldest boy, Usually you, you know, there's, there's only, you know, a couple options you have to get out of that situation. You know, it's, it's either, you know, you know, school, you know, scholastically sports or, uh, the, op the bad route, which is, you know, to jump into that environment, um, act those, those, uh, environmental activities, right. With the drugs and gangs and stuff like that. So me, you know, I was very fortunate to be blessed with some athletic ability and um, to be, you know, really big at an early age. I was like five seven in the third grade. Jeez, so, as tall as I am so, now. <laughs> literally, yeah. So I was, I was always big, but I was always younger than everybody too. My birthday's in November. Um, and you know that really is is what what saved me. You know, in addition to running into you know certain people that entered my life at the right time. You know, during, you know, whatever time period I was going through, somebody always came in at the right time randomly that helped me kind of get through that, 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 uh, adversity, that adverse moment right there. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was not a, uh, I do not, you know, excuse me, my childhood was not a, um, a normal childhood. And, you know, we, we loved each other. We had love, you know, our mom did her best, you know, fighting her, her journey in addiction and, um, you know, God willing, I was, you know, or, you know, thanks to God, I was, uh, able to get some, you know, some scholarships out of high school. And when I left to come to the university of Washington, you know, I wasn't there to kind of like run the ship, so to speak, right. As the oldest brother, my mom would leave and, you know, go do whatever she was doing at the time. Um, and I, I was old enough and I was the oldest to take care of everybody. So when I left to college, you know, she didn't have that captain to, you know, run the ship. So it forced her to kind of make a decision of what she wanted to do. Um, and the judge had, you know, that she was had to face was the same judge that she had faced, you know, three, four, five times, you know, because, you know, you know going, growing up how we grew up, you know, we went through foster care, you know, we got taken away by CPS, you know, we had to, you know, go through that whole ordeal, um, in our childhood being separated and, um, living, you know, with foster parents and that system. And that's a whole nother combo there. But, you know, when she met that judge at the crossroads, she was at the judge gave her an option. You can either go to jail, right. And he's, he was going to throw the book at her 
or you can enroll yourself in um, a uh, live-in you know, residential uh, drug therapy program. So she had to stay either two years at the program or two years in jail. She chose the program. So in Did she have access to the kids? Or? No, she couldn't. She couldn't. You know, so you're not in jail, but you're living in this essentially like apartment building, like a dorm. And you get to walk outside an hour a day. You're not, you know, behind bars. Technically, if you wanted to walk right out and leave, you could. But, I mean, you'd be arrested immediately, you know, however many hours it would take them to find you. But, you know, it was a, a, a residential rehab program. And she put herself in that program. And she got clean and sober. And, you know, when I was, you know, at University of Washington, you know, I didn't, I didn't I literally didn't talk to her until, like, the end of my sophomore year where... You know, she was out of the program. Mm. So but she got herself clean and sober when I, essentially when I left. So, you know, tribute to her, you know, I call her my hero. Cause she, she got through that. That shit's hard. Cheers to that, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, man. Um, you know, growing up in San Diego, the way, you know, where we grew up, going through the stuff we went through, that shit was tough, for sure. So let me ask you this. So <clears throat> while you went to college, she had that decision did like one of your younger siblings just kind of take over and manage the ship or no so it, it kind of went to shit so like my brother sean unfortunately he kind of fell into the, some of the traps of our neighborhood you know where you know with the gangs and stuff and then my brother my, my brother's marquise and ryan fell in you know right with him you know he was the only brother they had to look at i was gone and um there's not much i could do from seattle right i'm all the way in seattle trying to you know, uh, you know, uh, beat out Tank Johnson to start, you know, for the Huskies, <laughs> and, you know, trying to, you know, fight through, you know, uh, you know, all the, the stuff that comes with football. But, you know, I, I, I wasn't there in the house to help them. And mom was, you know, away in her program. So my brothers had to live with, my brother Sean had lived with our grandma. My brothers Marquise and Ryan lived with their, their grandmother as well. And, you know, it just, it was kind of tough that, being when she was gone, every, all the brothers kind of got separated. And, you know, the younger brothers were good. They were schooled, kind of little little bookworms. But the, you know, second, third, and fourth brother, they fell into some of those traps in the neighborhood. That many brothers out of eight? Yeah, there's six brothers, one sister. That's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, it's a <laughs> lot of boys. Man. It's like you see the families that have, like, the husbands have two or three girls. They're like, well, maybe the next one will be a boy. I can't imagine going through like, oh, we're at six, man. Like, I don't yeah, know. That's, that's what <laughs> she literally was, you know, I'm going to go until I get a girl. And then it ended up being, you know, like second to last. And Jeez. She tried to get one more girl and it was a boy. It's crazy. <laughs> so let me ask you this. I'm an only child. So growing up with that many siblings, you know, no matter what the household or the scenarios are, were you guys super close and like rode by each other throughout childhood? Or was it more of that because of the life stances you guys were in, you kind of only almost lived separate lives? No, we were all very tight. Um, we all lived, always lived in the same house, uh, except the times we got, you know, taken away, foster care. You know, there was a time where we had to live with, you know, my grandma and my other brothers lived with their grandma, but. Other than that, I mean, we're a very tight knit group, right? My mom raised us to always love love each other. She raised us very tough, right? She, you know, there was no men in our life growing up, so she raised us very tough. Um, she taught us, you know, to always defend each other, to always uh, um, like to never tell on each other. Um, she taught us to, you know, you know, all, all, you know, really, really 
really love and care about each other. So we, you know, we grew up, we grew up very tight knit group. You know, there, I have a picture that I always show. It's me sitting on the floor watching TV. And then I literally have one brother behind me, two brothers in my lap, another brother next to me. And we're, everyone's just stuck to me like, like glue. And that's how it always was. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, when you, since you guys were so tight and now, you know, here we are years later, are you, do you still feel like you guys are still really close and have had that connection or you moving to Seattle kind of just provide a lot of distance there? Yeah, I think, I think over the years, cause now they're all grown, you know, for me, I think I reflect on it and you kind of, I kind of like, you know, I wish I could have, you know, been there, you know, to help them through those certain issues that they had. You know, the distance is always hard, but anytime we're together, it's like we never, you know, left, you know, so we still have a strong bond and, you know, some of them have, you know, have, uh, you know, come out in the last, you know, four or five years and, you know, spilt, spilt, spilt their cup a little bit about, you know, how they felt and, you know, how it was with me leaving and, you know, uh, being in Seattle, not San Diego and, you know, choosing not to move back home per se and, you know, stuff like that. So. But, you know, we always talk it out and, you know, we get it out there. We have, you know, like I said, we're really tight regardless of the distance. But, you know, it, you know, it, there's always one or two brothers that, you know, have, have feel some kind of way. But we talk about it and, you know, we, we keep it tight. So you came out here uh, to play for the Huskies. Why the Huskies? You get a good scholarship offer. You wanted to get out. Like, what, yeah. what was the situation there? It's a crazy story. So um, my sophomore year... Uh, Cause I played basketball. My I, I never was. I never played football. My my, my mom never let me play pop Warner um, because it went by weight, right? And I was always way bigger than everybody my age, so I'd, I would have had to play two, three age groups up. Um, so my mom never let me play. So I grew up playing basketball. So I was a hooper my whole life, and you know I wanted to go to the NBA. And um, you know for me. Uh, you know, when I got to my sophomore year, we had went to the, you know, the, the CIF championship in San Diego, you know, to, you know, and then to state and, you know, I, I wanted to be a basketball player. Right. Um, but you had to have been a center, I assume I was, uh, you know, for the small teams, I was, uh, a center for the big teams. I was, you know, sometimes, a, sometimes a three, sometimes a four, but mostly like a four or five. And how big were, were we this time? Like, I was, think? I was about six, four. You know, my sophomore year, I was probably like two, two sixty. Yeah. Trying to think, who who would you who was your icon in ba basketball that you looked up to? Who did you want to be? Barkley. Barkley. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I feel I feel like because Barkley's six five, but he just you know was an athletic freak. You know, so, you know he could jump out the gym, but <laughs> yeah, crazy. he literally he was a he was a literally athletic freak. But he was only six five, so I was like, okay, if I'm six five, then I can be like Barkley. You know, so I modeled myself after him, but um. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they, coaches said, Stan, hey, man, you know, why don't you, uh, come out here to the field, bro? We need some guards, bro. You know what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> when I came out my sophomore year to play football, I actually played tight end. I, I didn't play offensive line, I played tight end and defense. Typical basketball conversion right there. Tight end, yeah. <laughs> tight end and defensive end, and I was a two way starter. I never came off the field. And, um, by the time I got to my junior year, I had, like 36, 37 scholarship offers. My first scholarship was University of Tennessee, Coach Fulmer, um, and then Nebraska, and then everything else just flooded. You know, I had Clemson 
as well. I always tell people I had Clemson. They're like, you had Clemson. <laughs> I just didn't know where Clemson was. I was like, Clemson? Where the hell is Clemson? Like, <laughs> I didn't know Texas. I mean, now they're like a powerhouse, but back then it was just like, Clemson? Where's Clemson? You know, but um, yeah, I had a lot of scholarships. And, um, you know, my senior year, we, you know, had a great senior year, tight end and defensive end. And, um, was getting heavily recruited to play offensive line. A couple schools were open to me playing tight end if I really wanted to, um, including Washington. And my top three was Nebraska, Washington, Tennessee. Just cause. Um, just cause, right? And really, I've never, I've always wondered, right? What is it like having all these offers? Mm-hmm. And you know, and our we both have the same thing with parental advice like we don't have parents that have been there and know no. what the hell they're doing so yeah. you're literally figuring stuff out yourself Myself, so it's just like yeah. oh the cool colors are cool here i could go to this city like right. you know is that literally what it comes down so to for me in my high school brain <laughs> um nebraska because they had a, a strong history of outland trophy winners right on the offensive line like that and that coach had put out like six outland trophy winners. okay so he was the man tennessee i like tennessee because coach fulmer was an offensive lineman right um and you know, I just I really liked him. And then I liked the, I liked Washington because it was just far enough away from home, but, but close just enough. close enough too. And they had just went to the Rose Bowl in two thousand one. Yep. So you know, when we were watching the Rose Bowl as a kid, you see Washington in there, and I was like, oh man. And then the following year, they went to the Holiday Bowl, and I was a senior. I was in like a high school all star game, California versus Florida, the Cali Florida Bowl. And, you know, it, we were low. It was that team was loaded. Like Hester was on that team. Mercedes Lewis was on that team. Like all these people were on that team from California. And we went to the Holiday Bowl and Washington was in the game. Okay. And, you know, you see Coach Neuheisel out there and, you know, he, you know, he looks back and waves and I'm like, oh, you know, you know what I mean? like, this is crazy. Yeah. You know? So it just was like, you know, one of the, my top three. So coming into, uh, you know, signing day, I was committed to Nebraska the whole time. And I was committed to Nebraska. I was walking around campus with Nebraska shirts. <laughs> and all the high school girls were like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, but all the black all the black kids were like, you sure you're going to lose? And I was like, man, it's not about that, man. It's about, it's about getting to the, you know, the next level. Because they, they have a state-of-the-art um, weight room. Like they're, they're, they were big time at the time. They were Big Twelve, right? They Still? had the yeah. They had the they had the they had, they had like a long standing record of ten yeah. plus win seasons. Mm-hmm. It was like once crazy. they left the Big Twelve, they just fell off. Man, so yeah, but but state of the art. Man, when I walked in, their, their their strength coach actually is the inventor of a lot of the machines that we have now. Oh wow! They had like self racking bench press machines. Like if you if you were bench pressing five hundred pounds and you couldn't get it. All you literally had to do was let go of the bar, and it would rack itself. Like what? I was like, man, this is crazy. That's crazy. So, as a little kid, you know, high school kid, you're like, oh man, this is this is awesome, you know. So, literally had like a waterfall in the weight room, and I was like, man, this is this is crazy. You know what I mean? so, um, but yeah, so I was committed to Nebraska. My one of my uh, best friends growing up, you know, really, one of, you know, brother brother of mine, Scott White. He was, you know, like top ten five-star linebacker at Mission Bay uh, in San Diego. You know, I was a four-star, you know, top 100. And, you know, I was top 50 in the nation. Scott was like a top 10 player, like, you know what I mean? Like, he, he was easily the best linebacker in the country. He had every school as well, but he was committed to LSU or Washington. Okay. So a week before he comes to my house, he's like, bro, let's go to Washington. 
Oh. And I'm like, for real? And he's like, yeah, man, I like New Heisel. They went to the Rose Bowl. They're, re- they're revamping so they can get back to the Rose Bowl. Like, let's, let's go, man. It's, it's, it's close it's on the West Coast. And I was like, oh, man, you know, but Nebraska, you know? So fast forward to signing day, Scott signs to Washington. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. Like, well, I'm still committed to Nebraska. And Nebraska actually sent a reporter to my high school. To watch me sign, so he could be the oh, first dang. person to to interview me after I signed in Nebraska, because I was like their top heralded West Coast lineman, you know. And um, I was signing my letter in uh, my principal's office, because my principal at my high school, Miss Casabon, she was extremely instrumental in me getting through high school, dealing with everything that I was doing. With For sure, yeah. She was awesome. I love that lady. You know, she, you know, Shout she, out. Yeah, so watch that you got to share on it. No, no, she actually actually passed. So you know, you know, R.I.P. Miss Casman, we love you. So, but um, she was so instrumental. So I'm signing in her office, but guess what? She was late. Oh. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, damn, like where am I gonna sign? Scott already signed. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. So as I'm waiting for her, Miss Casman, to come, I go into the little chapel and I pray. I'm like, God, like I don't know where to go. Okay please give me a sign of where to go, you know, like, please. So finally I go back in the office, Miss Casabon comes to the office. She walks in, oh my God, Stanley, I'm so sorry. I'm running late, da 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 Are you ready to sign? And I'm like, absolutely. Guess what Miss Casabon's wearing? Huskies. Guess, no, no, not even Huskies. Oh, like, that's messed up. Not, not specifically Huskies. And, it's, and she's not a football person at all, so she had no, oh, you know, okay. this was completely random. She just picked an outfit that day. Purple? She had on a purple purple pants with a gold blouse. There's the sign. Purple jacket <laughs> with gold, purple and gold jewelry. That's crazy. And I'm like, oh my God. You know what I mean? So in that moment, you know, Scott signed. She walks in wearing purple and gold. I was like, <sighs> so I called New Heisel. I said, coach, because he knew I was committed to Nebraska. I said, coach, you still have a scholarship for me? He said, we said, excuse me? <laughs> He said, you just signed in Nebraska? I said, not yet. And he put me on speakerphone, and, and he said, he said he's talking to his whole staff. He goes, he goes, hey, fellas, Stan Davidson asked us if we still have a scholarship for it. They said, they said, yeah, like the whole crowd was crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. And you can hear him, and I was just like, wow. So I literally signed to Washington on the spot that Nebraska reporter, like, basically cussed me out. <laughs> Coach Solich called me and yelled at me. Um, it was It was crazy, man, so... But I went to, I chose Washington. Now, it's kind of funny that you didn't really have your father figure and you're so into sports and you're, you're like committed to football. Is that literally just the consciousness that you had that's like, this is my ticket to get to where I need to go? Or did you have specific influences as like Stanley with this size and frame, like you have this kind of potential? Like, talk to me a little bit about where that comes from because even to this day, like as passionate as I am behind sports, not a, much of a father figure. Grew up with a single mother. Didn't give a shit about sports, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, I felt like it was a network for me to connect with some of my friends that did like sports to kind of fit in. And like, you yeah. know, in Wyoming, when there's no smartphones or whatever, like topics of conversation, well, if everyone's watching the sports game, there you go. We're all talking about the sports yeah. game. But if you don't watch it, then it's like, well, what the hell do I talk about? You know, I have three yeah. t- three channels on an antenna. Like, where does that go? So yeah. I'm interested to see how how that influence came to you. And do you feel like that was just all the brothers and, like, playing those sports? Or, I mean, honestly, like, you know, like like you said, like, I you know, really didn't have a father figure at all. 
to like, you know, practice with me and get me interested in it. For me, it was more so, um, you know, just having a natural ability that, you know, every coaches and, you know, people I knew would, would, would call out to me and tell me about like, wow, like Stan, hey man, I think you could like go to the college. And I was like, for real? And they're like, yeah, man, like you just, you know, you're like 285 and you just, you just scored a touchdown. Like, <laughs> you can go, you can go, I think you can go to college. And I was like, I was like, yo, okay. Like I, you know, I didn't know, you know, so for me it was, it's just, you know, a, a God given ability, uh, athletic ability to, you know, to play sports. And then also for me, I knew that the only way that I could change and help my family was to go to college. Mm -hmm. I, guess I knew that as, as, as a sophomore in high school, right. Even before then, it was like the only way that I can actually help my family and help my brothers, help my mom, you know, get out of the situation, the poverty we were in, um, get my brothers away from that, help, help my mom and, make sure she was healthy the only way was to go to college well back then too it was almost drilled in us that you have to have a degree to do anything now the world's changed a lot but like then it was like if you don't get a degree like you're working in a trade school you know you're doing a trade or like right. you're gonna have to be smart enough to somehow do your own business or something so yeah. um and through i'm sure playing sports and having the athletic ability just enjoying the time there and probably using that to get out of other things that you don't want to do was that a big instrument in that too like you just enjoyed playing the sport so much that you're like i just want to keep this going until they say i can't or oh uh, i mean for me it was you know like like i said i i just knew that that was my only way out but also i knew that i you know i i remember getting invited to the the all-star game the cali florida bowl and i'm like you know am i i'm like damn am i really am i this good like to be with these guys because like i said like hester was in that game mercedes lewis was in that game you know like all, all these, I could, if I went down the roster, be stupid. there's some, there's some significant like pro bowlers, maybe some hall of famers you could say was, were in that game and I was there. So to me, it was, it was a, a you know, as I got to senior year, it, it turned into, of course, this is my only way out. I need to get out of here so I can change my family's trajectory. But other piece of it was, okay, like how good can I be? And I set goals for myself of how good I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking towards, not the NBA, the NFL. I'm like, okay, well, I, I want to go. and This is who I really want to be. This is what I want to do. And were you settled with the fact that you would play offensive line or guard or whatever position and you were okay with that? Or did you have kind of like, well, I, just, I don't really know if I want to do that? No, nah, not at all. So when I got to Washington, Neuheisel, and this is why I love Neuheisel, he, he kept his word. Um, he gave me the option uh, to play tight end or defense, right? And he said, I promised you that I'd give you the option when we were recruiting you. So I'm going to keep my word. Here's the situation. So he, sh he showed me the situation. At tight end, there was the starter and two, two guys behind him that were going to play. And then at defense, he was like, you know, you'd probably be a two immediately. And then the next year, probably work into the starting, to, to starting once this guy leaves. So it was like, you know, which one do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Whatever you want to do, we're, I'm going to give you the blessing. And, you know, if you want to play tight end, then we're going to, you know, obviously work your weight, get, work your weight back down to about 260. If you're going to be a defensive end, then we're going to work you to about, you know, 300. What, what do you, what do you want to do? So looking at it, thinking about what I wanted to play and how soon I could get on the field, I chose defense. 
So I actually started at Washington on the defensive line. And when did you actually earn a starting position with the squad? So my first year I redshirted. I had double, two, I had double shoulder surgery. Dang. Um, but I was on defense. The second year I was backing up Tank Johnson, a defensive tackle. And about six games in, um, five games in, our starting guard, Tusi Sa'au, he uh, had a slip disc in his back and couldn't play. So Coach Gilbertson at the time called me in his office and he said, Stan, you know, you're, you play tight end in high school, you're defensive lineman now, we know, but we think that, you know, you're the, of all the guys on our team, we think you're the one that's athletic enough to make the switch from, you know, defense to offense and still be able to help us play. So that year, um, I played in six games at defense, and I played in six games at that's offense. That's crazy. <laughs> I feel like that's a stat that, like, somebody should, like... No, for sure. ...say, but, you know, no one, no one, no one cares. But <laughs> but to me, it was, like, a big deal, like, to, you know, be six years, six games on, on defense and six games on offense. And, then, and you started as the gu- uh, guard, so, or...? So that year, it was, like, an alternate. I was, like, an alternate. I alternated with a couple guys. Um, like at the guard Clay position Walker, or tackle yeah, as Clay well. Walker, and then I think Tusi came back, and yeah, it was it was like a rotation. But the second year, so redshirt sophomore, junior, senior, I started. So I was a three-year starter at left guard for the Huskies. And what was the best that the Huskies did when you were on the team? Did you guys make a big bowl game, big win? I can't no, remember. Our senior year was my our best year when I was there. I think we were six and six, or, or I think we I think we went six and six that year. But we lost to Stanford, and that that put us out of bowl contention. Bowl contention. So if we would have beat Stanford, we ended up beating Washington State at Washington State. Because um, six games, you're bowl eligible. But for the Pac-10 at that time, there's only so many slots, and it was by like you know, like you know, your, your win loss and who'd you lose mm-hmm. to. So we lost to Stanford. We shouldn't have lost to them. But then we came back the next week in the Alpha Cup and beat Wazoo. We always beat Wazoo. I just had to throw that out. There. Anyways, <laughs> I know everyone is like, "Oh, I really wish the game would happen this year." I was like, "But do you really care?" <laughs> I literally, my, one of my uh, my girl, one of her best friends, she's a diehard Washington State. And she went there. Her mom went there. Or her dad went there. Her sister went there. They're Washington State. Okay. Um, she she comes in like, "Did you hear the game was canceled?" I'm like. Aren't you happy? <laughs> I'm like, is that a good thing for you? Like, aren't you like excited about that? She was just like, whatever. <laughs> but anyways, no, yeah. So that that's yeah that 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 was our best year, my senior year. And did you feel pretty comfortable moving to offensive guard, which you've never played before, or was that just like, holy shit, I'm overwhelmed. Like, I need to find some people and like pull off and ask them some stuff and practice. Or yeah, honestly, it was. It, initially, it was very uncomfortable because I'm not, I was never used to playing that position. I've never played it before. Um, excuse me. And, which uh, is crazy. Which is crazy. <laughs> I've never played like, I would have never guessed that you uh, finally just, out of shit falling through the cracks, ended up as a guard. <laughs> never played it before. And it was, it was, it was difficult to, you know, uh, to learn the position because, you know, you have to be aggressive but patient at the same time, which is, like a heart, it's like an oxymoron. Yeah. Um, so, but that's what you have to do at offensive line. But, you know, as I 
played it, you know, I had flashes of like, oh, like you could you, you could be a starter, you know. I was like, really? And then the next year is like, I'm the starter now, and it's like, whoa, you could be really good. And I was like, really? You know, so I, for me, it was more so just like trial and error, just going out there and trying to do my best, listening to my coaches. Now, the crazy part about that is we had five offensive line coaches Dang. the time I was there. So every year I had to learn his technique, how he wanted it, uh, his scheme, his footwork, you know, his rules, all that stuff over and over and over again. So I never really had more than one year to really, really get comfortable at, you know, playing guard a specific way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which, you know, in a way it kind of grooms you for the NFL, but by that time, you know, you already have your, your skill sets already mm-hmm. set. You know what I mean? So, you know, I always, I, I always, uh, I was never really comfortable till about my, my senior year. I, I was actually comfortable at heart. And did you ever have a moment where you like pancaked a guy or just did something on offensive that you're like, okay, I could, I could actually like manage this. Oh yeah. So my senior year, um, you know, we had, I had to play against some, you know, some, some extremely like highly touted. Cause um, you're matching up on. Probably like hybrid linebacker DNs at the time. Or? Well, I mean, so I'm left guard, so I have to play against their their best, you know, pass rusher. Yeah, best D tackle um, every game. So you know, San Jose or not San Jose, but Arizona State had this guy number one. I forgot his name. He was supposed to be good. USC had Cedric Ellis. You know, he went like second round. Uh, Oregon had Haloti. Oh dang! You know, um, Stanford had. Um, that guy's name his, his name was like Amon or somebody but but every well, that is probably what a borderline hall of famer who Haloti yeah oh 100% like not a first ballot but he'll be in there oh 100% yeah, yeah Haloti was a monster the Steelers had some issues with him for a long time <laughs> he's, he's a monster man. he really is um, me and him took our Nebraska trip together oh okay yeah so he he, t- he told me if I went to Nebraska he'd go to Nebraska Where'd he end up going? He went to Oregon. Oh, Oregon, yes. Yeah. I, I committed to Washington. Did you have multiple, I know this is a tangent, but did you have multiple recruiting visits or was it only Nebraska? I went to Nebraska and, and Washington. Okay. And then New Eyes will talk me out of Tennessee. <laughs> and this is your first time coming to Seattle <laughs> at the time? That was my first time coming to Seattle, yeah. So, But um, but yeah, so that's my senior year, you know, going into it, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get some, you know, NFL caliber D tackles. So if you watch that USC game, Right, where it was me and Seth Ellis all day. Seth Ellis had like maybe a tackle or two, didn't touch the quarterback. That was your NFL film right there? That was my that, that was on my film, right? I, I said Ellis he didn't do a thing against me that game. Cal, I had to block Brandon Mebane. Oh dang, yeah. He didn't do a thing that game, okay? So um, you know, same thing with, with Haloti. Now Haloti's a little different situation because he's just a man child, right? Um, every time I had to block him, I was very stout. I didn't really give up much, but you know, he still, he still, you know, made some pretty big plays. Um, but never, you know, never on my film, thank God. But, um, but yeah, that year, that's when I really was like, I I can do this. If these guys are first, second rounders and I'm doing this to them, I can do this. So before we jump into the NFL business and just adulthood, I would like to ask a few questions just on those experiences because, you know, the NFL is not for long league, 1%, whatever stats you want to bring it up, it doesn't happen. But when you look at that experience with no real guidance and kind of just freestyle and everything, I mean, that seems like a freestyle football career going from defense to offensive line. Like, no one could have prepped you for any of those things that had happened. Like, what would you give your biggest influences to? Is it 
just having mentorship and having good connections at those universities? Was it that you had just like built in a routine and dedication within yourself that was like, again, you know, I really wanted to get out of there. Like, I know that I have to keep continuing to provide the things that I wanted to. Did you have certain goals that you were striving for? Like, really what helped you get to that point and handle all those adversities on the way? Like, get to the league? No, get through to being successful, UW, senior year, like, on borderline NFL. Like, getting out of San Diego, living by yourself. I mean, I mean, you lived by yourself probably before, but, like, in a different aspect, hundreds of miles away, and having to manage all those just constant change when – you know, a lot of people think they go to school, they pick a degree, four years, I, it's, a, it's a smooth path, but it's never that way. You know, I was lucky. I was like, journalism degree, and that's all I did, but almost nobody has that experience, yeah. and especially in college athletics. Now you got to manage schooling and athletics, and now the one thing that you were probably riding on the most, athletics, it's like, dude, you're going to offense. It's like, well, you know, it's like all these yeah. different things. Like, how did you continually to push forward, and, and did you attest that to great connections, just specific internal things that you did i mean me personally I, I think i've always had an internal drive to you know accomplish goals i set for myself um i had been through so much adversity as a child that normal things that people would call adversity were not adversity to me um and that's something that i've you know kind of went through uh like therapy about um now as an adult right because i'm I'm insensitive to certain things Mm -hmm. that you would normally be sensitive to but it's just because i went through so much as a child but you know in college for me at washington what really helped me get through that situation was of course that internal drive but it was specific people at specific times and um some of those people were people like pam um and uh rod jones at washington um those, those people, Inc. Aliaga, um, you know, of course, my, my roommate, one of my, my brothers, uh, Scott White, um, that I, you know, went there with. Me and him were roommates, you know, all through college. Um, but, you know, without those people, you know, in my life, it, you know, I don't think I'd get through Washington. You know, Rod Jones was probably one of the biggest factors in that. And um, that was tough. You know what I'm saying? So uh, losing him, he actually passed uh, a couple years back. But, um, but you know, Pam and Rod Jones and all these people that were there, they were really inf- inf- influential in helping me get through that period. It's funny that you bring some of those names up. Obviously, I don't know them personally, but just from your, your, your conversation here, because I look back at my childhood, too, being an only child, right, single mother. Sometimes just somebody that's in your life for a short amount of time can have the biggest influence or be the right person at the right time for what your brain needs to hear. Um, I talked about, you know, how I even ended up with sports or majoring in sports journalism. Like, you know, basically junior year of high school, they start prepping you like, what do you want to do with your life? Like, what do you want to major in? And I had no freaking clue. And it was my football coach at the time, math teacher, who's like, dude, you love sports so much. Why don't you just major in sports? And I was like, well, if I'm not a professional athlete, what am I going to do? He's like, well, there's like broadcast journalism. We figure things out, yada, yada. And it's just like that random conversation sticks in my head. And, you know, obviously I had looked up to him. He was a good guy. had a good family, like doing things the right way. But it's just like right place, right time. And as a child that doesn't have all that directions, it's like they say, it takes a village to raise a child. It's totally true. Hands down. Like like I tell you, like Rod, like I I speak highly of Rod. Rod was like like a father figure. A brother, uncle, I mean, he, whatever you want to say to us, um, he helped us, you know, navigate school, life. He helped us navigate dealing with the coaches and the politics of football. 
Um, he'd always bring us back down to earth if we were ever, you know, high. If we were low, he'd bring us up, mm-hmm. you know. He was that regulator. Same thing with Pam, right? Um, Pam Robinall. She was, you know, like a that like source of, of joy and energy that uh, you, you, you need as a person, right? Um, all through college, you know, Ink, Ink Aliaga, man, that guy at Washington, he's still there. And so is Pam. Um, you know, anytime you see Ink, man, you, you know, you smile, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, th- there's so many people at Washington that if they're not there, we, I, me, I can say, I can say we, because there's multiple of us that feel this way. We don't, we don't get through. Yeah. We don't finish. We don't get through. We don't graduate. We don't, um, finish our career there because of all the stuff that happened, you know, three head coaches, five O-line coaches, four offense coordinator. I mean, that's like a lot of transition and change. A lot of time players get lost in the shuffle, mm-hmm. you know, transferring in, transferring out. So always trying to start their team. Correct. And we went through a lot, man, you know, big app and you can't forget big app, miss peoples, you know, these are all peoples that, that were standards at Washington that truly helped the the kids, like us, the players, like, without them, you know, we don't make it, man. Yeah. And it's crazy at the age, as a student athlete has in college, how much is actually on their shoulders. You know, some days I think I'm working hard now, and I'm like, man, I'm just working hard, I'm grinding. And then I, like, remember what it was like, you know, I wasn't necessarily a full-time athlete, but working in the sports department, you know, when I work for Root Sports and we're t- filming a game, like, it's a 16-hour day, right? And I have no, you know, personal time, and I have to manage my schools. I still got to get my studies in. You still got to pass classes. And it's just crazy how much weight they put on your shoulders, but it really does prepare you to become an adult. You know, I think education, obviously, can be transformed and improved over time. Hopefully that, I think COVID maybe will help spearhead that and accelerate that. But, you know, totally tangent there, but... I think it's crazy how much those kids really have to do to survive. Like, if you're graduating in four years, if you guys know anyone that graduates in four years, like, buy them a drink, get them a shot, congratulate that individual. Like, it's tough work, man. And it helps me be who I am today because ever if I did do think I am working too hard or I'm just becoming a pussy, you know, no censored. Like, you just got to look at your, your back history and be like, dude, I used to literally, like, dig holes or, like, do manual labor for nine hours a day in 100-degree heat. Like, I'm not really working that hard. Like, you know, sure, mentally hard, whatever, but I think those values are so big. And, you know, w- we could potentially talk about you being a father and how that translated to fatherhood because, like, no one has the perfect recipe, but you go through these trib- trials, tribulations, struggles, and then you want your kids to live this perfect life. But when you almost handhold them through the whole thing, they're not going to have those values and understand what it takes to be successful because you've done it all for them, right? Yeah, and, you can't do that. And, and we'll dive into that here in a minute. But Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I understand. I mean, people think that, you know, if you're on scholarship, you, you got it easy. Not at all. Our, our, uh, our, our More pressure. <laughs> yeah, our professors just to walk in and go, you know, if you think that I'm just going to give you whatever grade because you play on the football team, you got it wrong. So now we're walking in with <laughs> like, oh, a shit. stink face from the professor. <laughs> He's automatically eyeballing us and, you know, you know, like pointing us out to the side and, you know, making sure that, you know, our, you know, a, a paper he would have just thrown in the bin. He's analyzing ours to make sure we're not getting corners. But it's difficult. You know, we have a full schedule, right? My, my, my friends in college used to be, you know, hey, man, what are you doing today? Oh, you know, I just got done with class at three. Work out, read a book, do some homework, maybe get some dinner later. I don't know. 
Maybe hit the IMA, go to the gym. I don't know. What are you doing? Oh, well, I have a uh, film for the next two and a half hours. Uh, practice for another three hours. Mandatory study table for another two hours, three hours. Dinner that we have to mandatorily at least check into. They're like specifically giving yeah. you the specific foods to gain weight right, and all yeah. that. You, you have to at least check in, right? And then by the time you get done, it's, you know, by the time you get home, it's 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 11 o'clock. This is just a Tuesday. And you got like conditioning at 5, 6 a.m.? Yeah, and then the next day, you know, 7 a.m. workouts, you know, or 6 a.m. workouts, two hours, then you go to class, then, you know, it's just all over again. So, so scripted. It's crazy. It, it's crazy, yeah. So to get through that, you know, is, is, is a challenge people think is easy. On, on top of that, you know, they, they, you know, you have your scholarship check, so to speak. By the time you got to the 15th or 16th of the month, that's, it was gone. Right, if you lived off campus, you're, you paid your rent. Okay, you bought some groceries early. We're giant super kids. Yeah, like it's the budget of food, I can like only imagine. Kids. Yeah, you're giant super kids. So what do you do, right? So like that that that's an issue. You know, it's it's tough. If you're on campus, you live in the dorms. They used to give us ten dollars a meal, three meals a day. Right, you go to Pagliacci Pizza and get you know three four pieces. That's fifteen bucks. So, you know, now you just took some from lunch, you know, or dinner. Now from dinner, I don't have $10. I have six bucks because I ate a big <laughs> lunch because I'm a super kid. I'm growing. I'm giant, massive, 300 pound, or even like the linebackers are 250 pound. These are, every, all of us are su literally super, super kids, super young men, right? We're giant, like superheroes in training. We're eating ridiculous amounts of food. <laughs> you run out of money. So it's just, it's the struggles or the hard, the schedule. You know that the the mental toughness, the fortitude, uh, mental fortitude you have to have to get through that. You know the, the support people. I'm telling you, if they're not there, like we don't get through. Is there a time through college? You know, maybe not. Maybe you know, you just had the strong mentality from being a kid. But was there a time where you're like, holy shit, I don't know if I can make it out. Like make it through all this, like back against the wall kind of moment. I don't know if I should continue playing football, if I should just stick with school, or if I should go back home, or did any of those ever come through? Sorry, ask me that question one more time. When you were in college, did you ever ever have a moment of like uncertainty or like pretty big doubt of like, damn, dude, I don't know if I want to keep playing football, I don't know if I can make it through this, or maybe Ooh. I just want to stick to school, or maybe I want to move back home? Like, did you ever have that? Never. Never? No. Why? Never. Just a support I, group? No, I just knew that, you know... I knew that I could play the sport. I knew that I was good. I didn't know how good, but I knew that I was a good player. And I had goals that I set for myself to go through the NFL. So for me, you know, there was never a doubt. Right? I, there was a time when Coach Newhouse left that we, you know, me and Scott were considering transferring schools. You know, should we transfer? You know, I think the NCAA will let us go without penalty. You know, should we, should we leave? You know, um, but we ultimately decided to stay. Did you have a school in mind that you wanted to transfer to? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, more, it would have been a it would have been a situation where we went we would have we would have went together. Yeah. Um, but who knows, man? We would we could have went back to San Diego State and wreck shop in that conference, right? Probably. Um, but I, you know, I that, for me, I just didn't waver. You know, I, I wanted to finish what I started. And I, I didn't waver from that. Nothing stopped me or mentally blocked me from that. And I'll kind of hit home with that because, I mean, that's a huge thing. Like, 
you almost over flood your brain with these thoughts of what ifs or I don't know or just all these doubt words that it almost consumes you and puts you in a position where you choose to back out where the people that are successful obviously your childhood is kind of mentally you know strengthen you to be prepared for situations like this but you are prepared to not even think of that there's no other option and sometimes that's what it takes to be successful like you literally just got to say there's no back door there's no other options like i have to move forward and i think a lot of people that see people that are successful you know they always think someone else did it for you or you are set up for success or right place right time and sometimes it's literally like you got to look at that person it's like they had no out plan like they literally did it to figure it out like I had no answers when I moved to Washington. I had $1,000 to my name and just had to figure shit out. I was just like, I go to figure it out. And my mom was like, well, that's psychotic. Like, why would you do that? You know, what happens if you fail? I was like, worst case scenario, I drive my ass back home. Like, right. what's going to change here, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think that's cool that you bring that up because it seems so simple. But I think to the viewers, like, if you ever find yourself with something that you passionately enjoy or think you can actually be successful at, sometimes you just got to drop it all quit whatever the hell else you are doing and go for it and set those yeah. goals. I mean, I think, and like, like you just said, like have, not having a back door, I think it, I think that, you know, like for me, I didn't have a choice. Like there was no, there was no back door, right? Like you either, you either get through this or, you know what the other side brings. You don't want to go back to San Diego. So, um, but you find that it, tr that, that mentality translates over to so many other industries where if you really want to be successful at something, then you mentally have to, have to make that decision for yourself right where i, I didn't have the choice it, it is what it is you know people anyone listening you know watching or listening can you can do that too um simply by having that real conversation with yourself and and, and really 100 percent committing to the decision that this is my goal and i'm willing to do whatever to hit this goal right i'm closing my back door i'm block barricading it there's there's no option i'm gonna do this and, and when you have that level of fire and passion and desire towards anything right you're 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 going to hit that goal right you're going to start thinking of of ways to get around you know any type of speed bumps or roadblocks or every time there's right? a hurdle you figure it out you figure it out <laughs> like literally and that's something that um you know I, i've heard a lot of especially in, in in the business that we were in you know i mean how many times did you hear that figure <laughs> yeah. it out you're like Okay. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that was your only advice. Figure it out. But that's real. You know, it really is. And and you know, that's just that 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 phrase. Figure it out. Is you know, a big bulk of my life has been okay. Okay, how do I? What do I do? How do I do this? Or what do I have to do? You know, what am I willing to do? Okay, that's what I have to do. Am I willing to do it? Okay, execute. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're right. You know, you know, th that's, that's what it takes. So when we're talking NFL, was there a time that you knew that you're like, I got to do whatever I got to do to get there or, oh my gosh, I really want to make it there. Like, let, let's put all the chips on the table and let's, let's go after it. Or did you kind of, once you realized, you know, going to a power five school, like you were in position to be successful and there was no other option. I'm, what was the first part? Sorry. So when you were young, did you have a point in time, whether through high school or childhood, that you're like, I want to go to the NFL, like I can do it. I mean, obviously you wanted to play basketball through high school, mm -hmm. uh, so maybe it was the NBA, but did, did you always just think professional sports? Like, that's my ticket. I got this athletic ability. I got to do it. Or did it come, you know, way later? No, I always, I always knew I was going to be a professional athlete. 
I just, I just didn't know. I obviously I was praying. Because uh, did your siblings do sports? Yeah, but none of them, none of them, uh, none of them were uh, as big or didn't have the gifts okay. that I had. So they just didn't really care, or probably didn't have enough guidance without that ability just yeah. to take off. Yeah. No, well, so my brother Sean, I'm, we have the same mom, same dad. I'm six five, you know. Three, we're not gonna say that, but um, Sean's like five six. Okay, he so, had my issue. <laughs> but my other brothers, um, however, um, they're all like six two, two hundred. They all could have been great athletes, but they chose a different route. They they fell into the streets and stuff like that. So, but yeah, uh, that's pretty crazy though that you kind of just knew the whole time. I mean, you look at the the individuals that do make it. I mean, I feel like there's a few different ways to get there, but no one can tell you what you want to do. It's just almost like, you know, they say God brings people to do specific things. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily the, the full answer there, but it's just like your brain knows and, and you feed your brain every single day in that subconscious of what kind of thoughts you're thinking and what kind of things you want to do. And usually if you just say it over and over and over and you trick yourself into doing it, it happens. It's kind of, it's like almost like magic. I completely missed your question. I'm so sorry. No, I was just talking about how you could trick your subconscious into saying things over and over and like, what am I going to be in life? What am I going to do? And if you just have that mental capacity and that mental strength of being so confident in doing one thing, it's almost like it always happens. You know, when someone's so committed to a thought or an idea, you, like again, we just figure it out and so you like, make it you happen. Know, you know who Kai Green is? Mm -mm. All right. So Kai Green, he got, he, he 100% got robbed in Mr. Olympia, but he's a bodybuilder. And um, his favorite phrase is "thoughts become things," and I truly believe in that. In if you truly, like I said, if you truly have a, you truly think about doing something to the point that it's like consumes you, it's gonna happen, right? And and I and it just comes down to like you said, like you know, it's almost like manifesting it, right? Like you you can you can really you can manifest really whatever you want. You know, if you're actually serious about it, if you really are upset, like that word, here's the word, obsessed with it, right? So, yeah, I 100% agree. Now, NFL, I don't believe you were drafted, correct? I was not drafted. So you went through kind of the gauntlet of, I guess you signed right once after the draft as like a free agent to join a practice squad, and then you went from practice squad to practice squad until you actually had, found a starting position, or what, what was that journey like? Bro, so I was undrafted. Um, the first team I went to was the Rams and, um, in St. right Louis, after the draft practice squad, right? Went to the Rams. Right. And no, I just, I just got signed to a futures deal, undrafted, typical free agent contract. You know, you get, you get a ticket to training camp. If you make the team, uh, great. Um, this is what you'll get paid. If you don't, it was nice meeting you. you know? <laughs> so, um, so I went there in the off season and ended up getting cut, uh, before training camp. Went back home to Seattle, finished my school, and then um, the following, at the end of that season, the Jets called me, and they were like, hey man, we uh, we really like you, we want you to, you know, come in and compete for a spot, um, what you call, uh, you know, can you, um, you know, can you be on the plane? I'm like, absolutely, you know, so I go to there. And you already had a degree? Huh? You already had your degree? Yeah, I came back to finish it, so. Okay. Went to New York Jets. Um, after I went to the, you know, went, got there. Coach Mangini's there. We're at Hofstra, and um, yeah, man, it, it was it was a grind. That was the old NFL before the changes 
two padded practices, three hour practices. It's hell. You know, literally there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, you're going to have to really grind to get through this and make this team. So I ended up not making the 53 man, but Coach Mangini put me on his practice squad. And, you know, he told me, you know, that he, he thought that, you know, that I had some ability and that he could um, see me developing into a good player. And he believed in me, put me on the practice squad. And that was my first initial introduction into the NFL. So from getting cut, going back to school, what was your degree in, by the way? Political science. Just why the hell political science? Um, I picked poli sci because I really wanted to be a, in the business school. And with the schedule, it was tough. So there was a major called um, political economy, which is which had every single class that the business school had, except, you know, it just wasn't the business school. So I, I chose that political economy. So that's technically a political science degree, but it was emphasis in specifically economics. Do you feel like you've used that at all or it's helped you as an adult since then? Now. Yeah. Yeah, now, okay. yeah for sure. Now that I've gotten to this point, but um, early on, you know, you're like, I don't know if I'll ever use this. <laughs> but, but once you get out into the NFL and you get into the real world, then, oh yeah. Definitely translatable. That's great. Yeah. Um, shows because, you know, a lot of people hit or miss with college now. Like we said, when we grew up, it was almost like you have to. And now there's just so many outlets and like people understand things more. They could watch this podcast, see what we're doing. Like there's just so many ways to see what people are doing that doesn't even require a degree. And now big tech companies in my space are even like Amazon and stuff aren't requiring degrees anymore. So, I mean, the world's changing, but... You know, just because you get a degree, you know, if you're two or three years in, you think you want to finish, you're not too sure. I recommend finishing, right? I mean, would you finish your school? Yeah. You don't, could don't, usually relate that experience you somewhere. Start something, finish it. Yeah. Just in general. That's always that's, what my mom taught me. That's just how I. It's the one lesson my mom always you gave me. Start, finish yeah, it. Yeah. Can't quit. Don't, 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 yeah, don't, don't short yourself. You're really shorting yourself. So. And then, um, from that time that you had graduated, came back to get your degree had been cut like there was no financial money provided besides travel stuff from the nfl right no, nothing. so how the hell did you make it through there were you working a job did you just have enough save from scholarship money or what was going on honestly i um oof, i don't even really I, honestly i'm thinking back i'm like what did i do isn't it live? crazy me and my buddy were just talking the other day like wasn't it crazy in college when like you are dirt broke you literally have five dollars to your name like every week and you just figure it out. And what like those times were so fun. Like I enjoyed those times a lot, but now I couldn't imagine if I was just like, yo dude, like I have to eat this food cause it's all I could afford right now, but I'm still ha vibing, having a good time. I literally can't even, I'm trying to think like, what did I do? You're probably survive? in like fight mode, you know, you're just think, like battling it out and figuring it out. I think I came back and I, I don't know what I did. I think I was dating, I think I was dating a girl. You know, she was like, just come live with me, you know, I'll help you get through this period. I don't know. I need a job. I don't know, man. CC grinded it out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was tough. I, I know that I really, I really wasn't doing much. And, and, it, and, and again, it was only like. Did you, you know, focus on working out? Yeah. I mean, you stay in shape. Your agent's like, stay in shape. You know, you get a call, you know, somebody's going to pick you up again. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Let me finish the school. But, um, and I think technically. I, no, was I still in? I think I still. I think I don't think I think I still have my uh, scholarship checks. I don't know, but I think it was something like like that. But just enough to flow by. It was only like for the season, you know. Like I came back, and then you know, through this, as soon as the Super Bowl was over, 
The Jets oh, called yeah. me. So it was only like that four month. And then period. what was a practice squad check? What what year is Woo! this? 2000. So it was 30. It was uh, 11. It was 30, 3,200 a week after taxes. And you're in New York. I'm in New York. Where are you living? New Jersey, technically. Like dorm, NFL dorm or no, something? No, 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 no. I, just, I got an apartment in Parsippany, New Jersey. <laughs> Parsippany. Where is that? Was it shitty or nice? There's parts that are nice. I wasn't in the nice part, but I just I just went and found like the whatever the cheapest apartment was, um, and just was like, this is it. I didn't make the team. If I made the team, I got a nicer one. The the, pre- the practice facilities in Morristown. You know, but I lived I lived in Parsippany about 15 minutes out. It was cheaper, you know, straight shot to work every day. But practice squad, yeah, it was 3,200 a week after taxes. That's crazy. So you'd always get like a big, you know, 64, $6,500 check because you get paid every two mm-hmm. weeks. So every two weeks you get 6,500 after taxes. Put that in the account. You know, it felt it felt good to you know put some money in your account, but. <laughs> Do you, you think know, uh, you hear do, everybody else's check? You're like, dang. Yeah. Do you remember uh, how much your rent was at the time? Any My idea? rent, I believe, was like, I think it was like nine fifty, something like that. It seems pretty affordable for the area, maybe. Yeah, it's like. I'm nine, sure if you went there now, it'd probably be way worse. Probably like twenty five. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, that was right before things really took off. And then from the Jets, you went to another practice squad with. From the Jets, I was with the Jets that whole year, and the next year. I lost a, a battle to Slauson in training camp, Matt Slauson. Shout out Matt Slauson. He's a good, kid, good player out of Nebraska. It was like, you know, he got drafted, but it was literally like me or him, you know. Um, and he won that, and he had a good career. I think he – I don't know if he's still playing, but he, he's good. He's a good player. Um, so I went after that I went to the Green Bay Packers. And then – And was that for like a full season or just partial season? That was just that, that – that, Full season, yep. I was there for that whole year. Where'd you live there? On the practice. I lived in De Pere, Wisconsin. How was that? De Pere. <laughs> D-E space P-E-R-E. De Pere. Would you rather be in New Jersey or in, in De Pere? I'd rather be anywhere but De Pere. That's what I think. Yeah, De Pere's not, a, not, a, it's not an awesome location to live. It's real quiet, empty. It's not really a lot. Same money? Same money, yeah. You so know. you're still getting money. You're still doing your thing. At this point, did you still feel like, okay, I'm going to make a freaking team? Or were you... I did. I did, honestly. I mean, the Packer, Packers organization is amazing. They have an amazing now That's like going from JV to varsity, right? Like, you actually have the training, the facilities, they yeah, understand the, the, things. The Green Bay Packer as, Packers organization as a whole is amazing. They're, they're arguably one of the best uh organizations in the nfl oh, i could not disagree with that yeah and it's 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 everybody you know they, they every if you have a g on your helmet it doesn't matter if you're on the practice squad or if you're you know woodson like you're they're going to treat you like you're the best um, because they they understand there that you know you're one week away from being the starter mm-hmm. and you know they're hit they have a history of people going practice squad in the game all of a sudden you're contributing uh, to the team winning so like that, that's the culture there you know it's it's a truly a team oriented team so to speak every team's not like that but um but yeah i'm in green bay i'm in the pier it's awesome i did feel very confident that eventually i would get um you know to to have the opportunity to play 
And are you just riding solo? No women in the mix at the time? No, oh. like, extra baggage going on? You're just, like, oh, head no. down, hitting the pavement? Or were no, you... I definitely had a, had a whole relationship there um, that was I was serious with. It was with me in New Jersey, all the way to Green Bay. So, yeah. I was, was that I was, nice to have that? To that kind was, of just be able to go home and do that thing that, and not have all those... That's really what kept you sane is because, you know, you wake to up... Peer. <laughs> yeah, you wake up and, you know... Um, you know, you look outside and it's like negative 10. And yeah, I had an expedition. I couldn't see my expedition. I'm like, where's my car? It's nothing but snow. And then you hit the button and you're like, oh, it's, here's my car <laughs> covered in snow. So, but yeah, that, that kind of, that obviously helped in your, in keeping your sanity. For sure. But De Pere, I never forget De Pere. There's a, there's a little river you cross and on the sign it says, do not eat the fish. They're toxic. And I was like, dang, dang. De Pere. It's crazy. Yeah. And then from the Packers, did we go to Broncos? So what was cool about the Green Bay Packers, like I said, they're a class act organization. They actually called me in the office and told me, Stan, we really like you as a player. We'd love to develop you. Um, but, you know, we don't, we do not think that we're going to be able to really give you an opportunity to make this team um, with the guys they already had, contract situations, all that stuff. We're not, you know, we're not going to give you, but we want, but we really like you. You know, you worked your butt off. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to release you on waivers. So now for 24 hours, any team in the NFL can claim me off waivers. So it's almost like getting, yep, yep, like yep. getting drafted. But um, they were just very honest and upfront with me and, and gracious and amazing, you know, because they're a great organization. And they just said, hey, you know, we're going to release you on waivers and, you know, good luck and. Hopefully you land, you know, somewhere where, you know, you can actually have an opportunity to play. And I said, thank you. And literally, like, the next morning, the Broncos claimed me off waivers. And I was on the plane to Denver. Out of those cities, what was your most favorite to live in just for the purposes of living? Probably Denver, for sure. Because you live right in Denver? New Jersey, too, because you're so close to New York. And I met a lot of people, and that's that's a uh, not a good place to live if you're a rookie. Oh, I can imagine. It's just a lot of distractions and, and drinking and gang, you know, clubs and dealing dealing with celebrity, you know, and letting it, you know, letting it get to your head. So Denver for me was was an amazing place. Best food it. out of those places. New York, for sure. Yeah, best food, best nightlife, everything. New York, pretty much. I mean, it's New York. What was the dumbest thing you'd think you'd do looking back at the NFL stand, trying to make it to the starting squad of the Broncos? In one of those cities, the like the dumbest, dumbest thing, you're like, Jesus, why did I do that? Did it, was it celebrity going and throwing down at a club? Was it, you know, just like no, wrong people, time. wrong time, or anything like that? No, I think I think the dumbest thing I did in my NFL career was uh, was 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 being content. There was a moment where I was the starting left guard. For the Broncos, 2010, they handed me a hat after the fourth preseason game. I played like one series. All the starters come out. Here's your hat. When they when I put that hat on my head, there was a moment. There was a feeling of content. Like you made it. You you did it. You know your goal that you set since you were, you know, in eighth grade. You did it. You're now the starting left guard for the Denver Broncos. You did it. You made it. Right. And I never really reset a goal. After that, I had never set my goals. That was my goal. There was nothing more. 
and then to accomplish. That so leads I had a into content. I was like, I made it. So then now with that mindset, you go to practice week two, and you know it's I've never experienced being a starter before. But when you're a starter, every single defensive player that you practice against, they're trying to kill you because you're the starter, right? You're the best left guard on the team. So they're trying to kill you. You're getting their best. Like, it's the Super Bowl to them. It might be just the period three for you, but to them, it's a Super Bowl. They're trying to murder you right now. One-on-ones, they're trying to give you their best move because you're the starter. So, you know, if you're not on point, um, if you're not... If you're, your foot's not on the gas, you're going to get embarrassed, right? You're going to not perform well. You're not going to practice well. And you're not going to be a starter for long. And ultimately, you're not being in the NFL for long. So I think for me, the biggest mistake I made was being content. Because you were with the Broncos how long? Uh, that year, 2010 and 11, uh, after training camp, I was released. And you started both years? No, I started in 2010 for the Broncos. Um, and then Josh McDaniels got fired mid-year. And then everything just, it's just a shuffle. Hogwash again. It was crazy, yeah. It was a crazy shuffle. <clears throat> that's kind of funny that that's the moment, you know, because goals are a crazy thing, and you you, you got to keep striving for that, especially when you're in the top, you know, 1% of what you do. You know, I, we always talked about Mark Cuban in our previous job, but he's always like someone's being born right now that's going to have a determination to take what you have, right? That's he's true. like you always, once you have it, you can't let go because all that hard work that you've gotten, you have to work even harder now. Right. Because you've done what you want to do, and now you got to make it last. Yeah. So, and then that. So this goes back to what we were talking about growing up, right? Like, it, it's super important to have a support system, right? Because let's just say I had a father, or even a father figure. In that moment, it would have been like, okay, you made the team, good job, right? Now what? let's get to work. What's your next goal, right? Let's reset your goals. Or hey, man, like. You know, you can't be content. Like, don't be content. No, you got to grind. Like, you got to keep going. Like, what's the next goal? You know, or, um, you know, if you had that support system, uh, whatever whatever it may be, um, then now my mindset and that time is not what it was. Then the result would probably have been different. So it's, it's super important to have a support system. If you don't have one, seek one, right? Um uh, if you don't, you know, and if you can't find one, then make sure that, you know, you don't let yourself fall into that mindset, right, of being content. Um, because, again, like, obviously it's not good to, you know, we're not meant to be alone, right, at all as humans. We're not meant to be by ourselves. But if you are by yourself, right, take control of your situation and don't let yourself fall into excuses. Don't let yourself fall into any of those mental traps of contentment or you know, what was me? No, 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 no. You have full control over your ship. You literally are in the driver's seat of whatever happens to you, if that makes sense, right? 100%. So, and, and you control, you can, con- you have to control the things you can control, right? I can, I can control what people think of me, right? Um, to a, Obviously, to a certain extent, right? I can control how I look, how I speak, the actions I do, what I say, what I do, how I treat other people. Those are the things I can control. Now, if someone just hates me, then that's your problem. But I did everything I could because I'm conscious of it to make sure that I can control the narrative. And it's the same thing in sports, which translates to business. It's the same thing in business. So, yeah. All right, here's a fun question for you. So, Best advice from a coach? 
Was there a coach that you ever had that gave you a piece of advice that just hit home? Or was there a coach that you just always vibed with that you appreciated the most? Uh, best advice from a coach. Um, I just, it's, it's like, it's hard to answer that because every... There's so much advice. It's so much. You're like inundated with like, you know, a lot of, you know, amazing, um, you know, people that are giving you, you know, words of wisdom. But I can just tell you that like, you know, I learned lessons from great coaches. Man, Genie, you know, I learned a lesson with him in regard to preparation. Right, and being a professional. You know, I remember there was a week where they were going to activate me um, against the Seahawks in Seattle. And he was like, you know, we're probably going to activate you this week. You know, um, are you ready to play if, you know, we put you in the game? And I'm like, absolutely. And he's like, okay, absolutely. Um, how much film have you watched this week? And I'm like, um, I mean, I, I always stay after and watch about about an hour, hour of film after practice every day. It's like, okay, so you've watched uh, two hours of uh, practice so far of extra film. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, that's it? Like, that's all you've watched? He's like, you know, we, we, you knew we were going to play this team um, what, Sunday? Sunday, they are, the last game ended. So from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, four days, you watched two hours of film. So you see how, like, when you broke it down like that, I was like, yeah. He was like, so you think you're prepared to, if we put you in a game to play, huh? And I was like, yeah. He was like, okay. Let me tell you right now, that's not going to fucking cut it. And I was just like. <laughs> and he, he like he ripped in he ripped, laid into me about you know being a professional like understanding that as a practice squad player you're on the practice squad but you're one injury away from being in the game so you have to practice and prepare as if you are going to play you know even though you know you, it might not look like on a Tuesday that you're going to play you know everybody knows that you know, Wednesday, that's the day that any signings happen, happen, right? So here we are on a Wednesday, you know, I, I'm thinking about activating you. And you tell me that in four days, you watch two hours of film. So should I activate you? You know, <laughs> I'm just like, God damn. So I learned that lesson from Coach Mangini. And he was right. You know, um, you know, offensive line coaches, you know, Coach Callahan, you know, an amazing offensive line coach. You know, Coach Warhop, an amazing offensive line coach. Um, you know, they just—they literally just give you, you know, words of wisdom in regard to your mindset. Um, teach mental toughness. Um, you know, one of the coaches said, "A working man's got to eat, and an eating man's got to work." So when you step on this green grass, right, nothing outside matters. When you step off this green grass, okay, now you can deal with the world. You step in this green grass. Nothing matters but this. Because you're already out here. So thinking about what's out there hurts you. So be mentally tough enough to focus on this. So those are all things that I learned in the NFL that directly relate to being successful. 
be where a hundred percent where you're at at all times, right? Hundred percent focused on what yep. you're doing. People don't have the uh, that ability. Also, I think one thing it's I have tough. really yeah, it's hard. It's a skill, really. It is, and I think one that's a skill that I I'm, I think I'm really good at in um, when it comes to uh, dealing with stress or really anything is I can put stuff in a box mentally and put it over here and not genuinely not care about it until I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not that I don't care. It's just that this is what I'm doing. So, and everyone can't do that. Yeah. People it's don't get stressed that way. You have to go through enough adversity and the fell forward experiments though to be good at it. Right. Sure. I think yeah. I would say it's just flipping a, you learn how to flip the yeah. switch. Yep. With that, for all the sports fans, as a player, how would you say, how much instrumental is good coaching? How much does that change a team? Paramount. Through winning, through just like top to bottom execution, like do you Everything. feel like they, they're like the driver of the seat, control the whole ship? Yes. Everything. It all goes down to If you look at uh, the Steelers, right, 10-0, Hell yeah. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I'm just like, damn. Like I, I was right. wearing my Mika jersey and two picks. I don't think I've ever felt more excited just wearing that okay, shit around. Hang, hang. <laughs> Calm down, okay? But you look at the Steelers team, and if you rip off their jerseys and put them next to the Jets and rip their jerseys off, which team is bigger? No idea. They're all the same size. They all run the same speeds, position to position. Same heights and weights, position to position, right? Some players, you know, went here. Some players went there. You can argue skill level, but not really because everyone's in the NFL. Like, everyone's the best at, you know, everyone was All-American. Everybody was this. Everybody, it's, it's the same. So what really makes the difference between 10-0 and 0-10, and right? It's the coaches, right? Your coaching staff, specifically your assistant coaches, and then the mindset and temperament of your head coach really plays a huge factor into the success of a team. Could you notice that stepping into a franchise's doors for a practice squad, like right away, like, damn, like this person means this kind of business or this is why they win? Like you talked about the Packers oh, yeah. organization. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, as a practice squad player, you see it all. You see everything, right? Because you, you, you have like a front row seat to like everything, right? All the... The, you know, when the offense, when the ones go ones, you can see when you're in the meetings, you can hear, um, you know, when we, when we all watch film, you see all the mistakes and then you see the coaches responses to it. Um, you know, you see how we practice. You see if somebody lets this slide or lets that slide, how disciplined people are, how disciplined they're not, you know, or not disciplined they are. Excuse me. Um, you see, um, you, you see it as a practice squad player. Yeah. More than, more so than anybody really. Were you ever impressed by a teammate or coach's preparation or maybe even opponent when playing in the NFL? Like you saw someone that just like did the part and you're like, damn, I need to do more of that or I want to be a part of that. Um, I was very fortunate enough to be around um, uh, Alan Fanica. And also, I hope he gets to the Pro Bowl this year, by the way. Or not the Pro Bowl, the Hall, Hall of, Fame. of Fame. Yeah, come on, bro. Like, I was very fortunate to be around Alephanica and Brandon Moore, right? Those were the left and right guard with the Jets. And, you know, from watching, I, used to, I watched Brandon because of how he practiced. 
Brandon practiced. He said, you know, to me, he, he had several pra- perfect practices where, you know, you might look at him and think like, okay, he's a big guy, but, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm more athletic than him. You know, he's a strong guy, but I think I'm, you know, in my mind, I think I'm stronger. But then you'd watch him practice and he had perfect practice. He had perfect technique. His hat was right where it was supposed to be. His hands were supposed to be. His feet were, you know, his footwork was right. His hips, you know, he would, he would, you know, he'd make contact with you and drive his hips and move that guy out the way. You're like, man, this guy is so good. And then with Allen, it was very fortunate to see Allen prepare, right? Um, this guy was, you know, a 10-time Pro Bowler. He won a Super Bowl at that point. Um, everybody saw that iconic play when he pulled around the corner on that power, hit that guy, and he busted through for, like, the, the first down or whatever. And, but this guy prepared like no one else, man. He he, he had a profession, he had a professional uh, company come stretch him. He had a separate masseuse. He did, you know, all, all of the... Every single thing you could imagine to your body to be fresh, he did. He ice bathed um, on top of, like, not, when I say ice bath, I mean, like, not, like, in the water. I'm talking about, like, the man bath where you're in a, a big tub filled with ice, yeah. just straight ice. And, you know, that's, like, something different to me. You know, he did contrast. You know, by the time I'd get there at 730, he had already been done with his workout and gotten treatment and was in the ice tub. And then we'd get out the ice tub and then do the normal workout with us <laughs> and crazy. then you know and then on off days i'd come in to watch film you know he's he had already got another workout in did an, 30 minutes of cardio and was coming to watch film so i'm in there you know eating a gatorade bar and he's in there drying his hair from the shower from his workout and recovery that he had already done mm-hmm. like the guy prepared and took care of his body to another level and you know, you see it in how he played and how he practiced. That's why he's, you know, Alan Fanica. Did anyone, once you, you know, obviously you started for a while, you're a part of several teams, did anyone give you advice to do those types of things, or is that all just them, like, running their own show? Because you see the LeBron Jameses, the James Harrison, who talk about all this spending they do and all the personal training they do on their body and having the masseuse, the acupuncture, whatever sure. it is. Is that all just them being like, I'm investing back in my own business? Or are there, like, once you step in, they're like, hey, these are the things that top people are doing. This is what we recommend. Or is it all just kind of like figuring it out by yourself? It really it really depends on the leadership. You know, like if you have uh, a team like, you know, like the Steelers or like Green Bay, where people will put you under their wing, then yeah. But if not, it's on you. And that's the biggest thing that people don't realize with the NFL is that, it's on you, right? Now, if you're fortunate enough to have an older player, a vet, come put you under their wing and go, hey, man, come with me. Kind of like how Russell did with DK. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome, by the way. Which is awesome, by the way, because if he hadn't done that, they wouldn't have the you know, the relationship they do on the field and the, you know, the, the chemistry they have. But um, if if you don't have somebody step up and put you under the ring, then it's on you, right? And, 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 and that's, that is the, like, the essence of the league. Right, you can be as great as you want to be. It's just you know you're gonna to have to go out there and put the work in. No one's gonna tell you what to do or what not to do um, when you're working out or in the off season or you know it's just when you come here, make sure you pass this condition test. And make sure you're ready to rock. Right, if you pass it or if you worked out or how much you worked out or what you worked on, that's on you. And then with LeBron, I mean, shoot, if you know 
Everybody doesn't have LeBron money. Well, that, I know that. Right. But. My, my man spends 1.5 <laughs> on his body. Most people aren't making 1.5 alone. He spends that just on his body. When you have that much resource, you can do that. Mm-hmm. What do you do if you're uh, you know, on a rookie minimum in the NBA? What do you do? But if it were me, I'd figure it out, right? You know, like, you know, I'd be at somebody's training gym, you know, trying to trying to figure it out the best I could. But again, you know, you know, the, the, his re- level of resource is a little bit different than everybody else's. It is just crazy though that even though you made it to the top league, that it's still there's no perfect recipe for success, right? It's always you're an adult, you still got to figure things out. Each franchise runs a little bit differently. And it's just crazy that it's been, and you know, sports have been a business that long, and it still is that way. Um, I think things are changing with social media now because everyone could say what they want to say, and like, there's a lot more to like. If I want to learn something, I can learn it really quick. But it's just crazy that, you know, there really is no perfect way to be successful there either. Yeah, I mean, you can't. Yeah, it's not really like a perfect way, but I mean, there's there's a there's a way. You know, like I, I look at Coach Tomlin with the with the Steelers. Man, he's the same guy he was when he started coaching for the Steelers. I'm sure he's matured and developed in certain ways like everybody, but, you know, he's been very consistent, right, in following that. And, um, you know, his temperament matches the mentality of the organization, uh, of that brand, you know. So, you know, I wouldn't say there's a perfect recipe, but there is the right way and the wrong way. Yeah, for sure. If that makes sense. Was there ever something that you saw? So, you know, NCAA, crazy business, when I went into college, I just assumed all college athletes are like perfect. Like they don't party, they don't do these crazy things, and like you know, traveling to other schools. And I only went to Montana. I could only imagine what it's like at a Power Five school or other places. And you see the things that happen behind the scenes. You know, we don't know to, need to list them all, but it's not a perfect you know picture that you would assume. And I'm sure the NFL is the same way. Was there ever a moment that you could speak about that you were like, "Holy shit, this happens in the NFL," or "This is the craziest thing I've seen." How is this still a thing? Like anything behind the scenes that you would never expect to happen? Um, I think there's a lot of that, actually. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I've, I've seen people um, run on a airplane, like, you know, while we're in the air, right? Also, when we travel, you know, we're, we're, I've landed standing up. Like, you know, they tell you, please don't stand. I've landed standing up. Like, I've seen people run you know, full speed, you know, on an airplane while we're in the air, you know, like that would never happen in the real world. Um, you know, I mean, little stuff, fun stuff, you know, gambling on cards, you know, you know, blowing blow money fast, right? You know, that stuff, I mean, I, I think that's league-wide, right? NBA and NFL. Um, but, I mean, other than that, I mean, it's, 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 I always say this, this is the best thing to say. You know that show uh, with uh, The Rock, uh, ballers ballers that show is 1000 percent accurate isn't that fucking trippy that he like i mean you know covid and xfl but like he's almost like we're talking about the power of the mind like he literally made a show of like the things he wants to accomplish and now he's like accomplishing all of them it's kind of trippy yeah, like damn mm-hmm. it's true but yeah no that's very realistic ballers is just I, that's the best way to say it right without like you know, going into detail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Watch the show ballers. The NFL is like that. All there the was good, an old the the show bad. on ESPN back in the day that they canceled where they talked about the guys taking steroids, partying outside of the games, and like what they did before games. And then it yeah. got canceled because the NFL saw it and was like, yo, this is too much info. Mm-hmm. Like, cancel that shit. Do you remember what that show was called? I do not. 
Oh, I'll have to look it up and, and post it, but yeah, it's funny that, you know, those types of things are so real world. You're, yeah, you're a grown man, literally. So, and you have the, you know, obviously there's certain, you know, things that you have to operate under, right? You can't, you know, you're going to get randomly steroid tested. Um, you're going to get drug tested in the off season. Um, you know, you got to be on time and all that stuff. But other than that... You're a grown man. Like, what you want to do is what you want to do. <clears throat> What's your thoughts on steroids? So, you know, I'm a big UFC guy. There's just a lot of, like, the testing they're doing is almost outrageous now. Like, they could test a picogram, which is a millionth of a grain of salt. So if there was a tainted substance, it would show up, but it's still your fault, things like that. Yeah. Like, when you were in the NFL, was it seemed very, like, wow, if you do steroids, you're a fucking cheater, like A-Rod, Mark McGuire stuff? Was it just kind of under the radar? No one really cared. Everyone was just doing their own thing. Like... And now as the league stands, do you, are you for or against it or in between? I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, don't, I, I do not, I don't support steroids at all. I think that that's not, you know, I don't think that's a, a good thing for the sport, right? It's definitely not good for your body long term, especially how short term football is, right? You're really doing a lot of damage to your body. People don't really care in that moment because of all the money that's on the line. Um... Now, when you start talking about HGH, right, there's different philosophies on that, you know, the healing properties that it has, um, the recovery properties that it has. So, you know, there's different trains of thought there. But I think whenever you're doing it with the intent of trying to get an advantage, you know, obviously I don't, I don't support that. Was it very highly looked down upon when you were in the league or the, did you ever sure. have those? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, it, it is what it is. Like, you know, you, you, you've heard that phrase, like if you're not – if you're not if you're not cheating, you're not trying. You know, you hear people say that, but that's that's bullshit, right? Work work your ass off. You know, if you want to get bigger, stronger, put the time in. For sure, right? Don't go get a syringe. Put I'm the same way, but a lot of people in. now. I mean, like we're so pro everything now, right? Any kind of thing that wasn't a thing now, it's pro this or pro opposite side or yeah. far left, far right. Yeah. And now they're talking about a lot of people like being pro steroids and like like the idea of like well. I like watching NF UFC guys that hit hard, you know, from steroids. Like, why don't they all take it or let them have nah. the choice? Or baseball, I enjoy watching home runs. Like, might as well just let them fucking take Stupid. it. And I'm totally against it as well. Yeah, so that's why I asked. That's dumb. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not fair to the guy that busted his butt all offseason to get stronger, better, faster. And all you did was do a cycle. You know, you came back, you know, juiced up. You know what I mean? But the NFL's not really fair in the first place, is it? Uh, in what way? I don't know. Would you, if I just asked you, is the NFL fair, would you say yes? I'd say in what way? Just fair to every <laughs> single athlete to do the same accomplishments. Uh, I, I mean, I think that depends on what team you land on. You yeah. know what I mean? Because certain coaches and organizations are different. I was fortunate enough to have Josh McDaniels, who comes from the Belichick tree, or, you know, I forgot what tree that is, Parcells tree, I guess. But, um... Yeah. You know, he, he was under Belichick for so many years, and their mindset in New England is it, I, they don't really I don't really care who you are, who you think you are, or how much you're getting paid. If you're the best player, you're gonna play, right? That's why you see so many guys that went to, you know, Middle Tennessee Tech, uh, <laughs> JC, you know, um, <laughs> Beauty College. <laughs> You know that are on the team and, and balling like like damn who is this kid playing? It's because they they went out they scouted him we like him let's give him a shot. Oh he made the team. Sorry, Mister whoever that we have to that is it's a big shot. 
You know, it doesn't matter. They don't care. So, but it's not like that league wide, right? Sometimes we drafted him high, so we have to we have to go with this guy. You know, you know, there's so many politics that go into it. You know, GM to head coach. So it just really depends on where you land, where whether you get a fair shake or not. Mm-hmm. And that's just the nature of the beast. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if you're talking about like. You know, are the rules fair? Is, is the commissioner <laughs> fair? And, you know, that's a whole like, other that's can a, of worms. Whole other can, yeah. When it comes to maybe greatest accomplishments as an athlete, you know, we'll start talking about business here uh, quickly. But was there something that ever stood out to you as like that's my highlight reel, or that was the time that I was the most proud of myself, or anything of that nature? I think for me, like it just—I could say just there's moments with every team. Like, I remember a moment when I was with the Jets where I had to block Chris Jenkins. And it was this is something that he'll, he probably will never remember, doesn't care about, doesn't, wasn't a big deal to him because he's Chris Jenkins, right? <laughs> but to me, in that moment, it, it, I'll never forget it, right? Where I was going one-on-one, I was uh, just a practice squad guy, and they kind of threw me out to the Lions, to just to see what I would do, and I had to do a one. It was just pass pro one on one, me and Chris Jenkins. And I remember um, coming out of my stance. I was like, I got a short set. This guy is so huge. Um, and for me to say that about another man, unless you know how big <laughs> this guy is, right? Chris was like, he's like six five, like three seventy five, with like a six pack. It's like yeah, I remember him. He was an stupid. animal. It's a joke, right? So we go one on one. I'm like, I got a short set, and that's the only chance I have. For anybody watching home who doesn't know what a short set is, that's where instead of pass setting backwards, you're like aggressively attacking the defensive tackle. But um, I short set him. He did a move, and I punched, boom, boom, inside his chest. And as he was trying to do a counter, I just locked him out. And I caught him on one foot, and I kind of like dipped him dipped into the side. But he's so strong, he didn't fall. But I just kind of had him, kind of ragdoll him a little bit. And then, you know, blue whistle blew. After that play, it was so surprise, <laughs> surprising to everybody that even Chris laughed. He was like, he was like, man, you got me, you know? Like, you caught me, you know? And the coaches were like, okay, let's, let's, get, this guy, let's get this guy some more film, get some more tape. Let's get, him, let's get him out there. Let's get him some more shots. So that was just a highlight for me, you know, as a practice squad player to, you know, get some validation that, you know, you, 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 you're supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, you're meant to be here. In Denver, you know, my best, the best moment in that part of my career was just going through that process in training camp. You get claimed off waivers, and then they go to the draft, and they drafted three offensive linemen, right? And you're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> come on, bro. Like, come on, man. Like, so I literally started training camp as the number three, right or left. So right or left, you're the you're third string. So I'm like, wow, right. So you got this like little, little. Uh, I've been in the league what three years at that time. So you you got this little, eighteen, little nineteen year old, little, little, little rich, third round, <laughs> you know, draft pick. He's got way more money than you, and he's ahead of you in training camp. And you're like, man, you know, this is unbelievable, you know. But what I did was, I just I just worked hard. I was the third string guy and I heard one of the coaches say if you see if you see the guy in front of you make a mistake and you make the same mistake he made right you're the idiot right you're actually the player I don't want right so if you see him make a mistake don't make that same mistake right 
So I took that to heart. And as a third string, I used to watch the first string guy make mistakes, the second string guy make mistakes. And when I got in, I didn't make those mistakes. And I fought my way all the way up the, the you know, the depth chart to be the starter. So I beat out two draft picks, second round and a third round draft pick to be the starting left guard in Denver. So that for me was was like obviously a highlight. Yeah. It's pretty freaking awesome. And obviously I'm a fan first, so I think I've had discussions with this you before, but... You know, being a player first and seeing these types of names and those types of things, did you ever have like a fan moment of like, holy shit, this is Alan Fanica right here, this is happening? Or did you always have that mental grind of like, I'm part of this too, like I can't even think of that? Nah, no, absolutely not. Man, I'm, my rookie year, Brett Favre gets signed to the Jets. <laughs> like, I'm literally looking at Brett Favre, I'm staring at him, right? I can see like his hair. And, his know, Wranglers? Is he, does he actually wear Wranglers? Do you remember? I, I have no idea. <laughs> the whole point is, I'm sitting, I'm looking at him, I'm like, I'm like, man, this is really Brett Favre. Like, you know, he's kind of tall. He looks like a, you know, retired car salesman, you know, just, you know, but doesn't really have muscles. You know, it's kind of like that cool uncle that you always want to hang out with. You know, like, that's Brett Favre. That is Brett Favre. He calls yeah. you everything but your name, you know. So, he's just an awesome dude. You know, he's just, he's Hall of Famer. One of the greatest of all time. And I'm at practice and I'm watching him do all these, this crazy stuff, these no-look throws and these bombs that he's throwing, he's just doing it easy, and you're like, bro, he just threw, the, he just threw that 70 yards, hit the dude in the chest. Like, you're like, damn, bro, this is breath you know? <laughs> So, you know, but but also, like, being in, you know, my rookie year, the, the offensive unit, offensive line group I was on, you know, arguably, what, three Hall of Famers, arguably. You know, Nick Mangold, Hall of Famer. For sure. Ma- uh, uh Fanica, Hall of Famer. DeBrickishaw, Hall of Famer. Right? Woody, you could argue. Right? Brandon Moore, he was a hell of a player. Right? It's hard to get, you know, Pro Bowl votes when the guy on the other side is Alan Fanica. But he was a great player. Like, come on, man. Like, that was a great group that I got to be on. So, yeah, I mean, there were moments where you're like, you know, I'm here. Like, I'm part of the team. But, of course, you you have those fan, fan moments when you first... See, oh my God, is that Champ Bailey? It's really Champ Bailey. You know, you're like, damn, that's, that's hey, what's up, Champ? He's like, what's up, Stan? You're like, oh, <laughs> you know, I know Champ Bailey. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's that first initial, you know, where you're, you know, you're you're a kid again. You know, your love of the game. Who had the most swag? Who was the guy that was just like walked around? Everyone was like, God damn, like this guy's coming to the locker room right now. Like swagger. Just like yeah, aura. Just Bro. had that. Like, I'm the fucking man type aura. Uh, I'd probably say DJ Williams. Really? Shout out, shout out DJ Williams if he ever sees this. DJ Williams, man. He was he's he always had that uh that, that Miami dude went to yeah. De La Salle. Went to De La Salle high school. Went to the went to the U. <laughs> it's like the farm system of bro, all farm systems bro, right there. Start, yeah, he was the man, right? In high school, man in college, right? Um, had a great career in the NFL. But yeah, DJ DJ Williams for sure. He just, you know. Also, one of my favorite guys uh, was Noshawn Moreno, man. Sauce man. Love, love Moreno. Sauce man. Right? That's funny. Uh, that, was, that was Larry's nickname, Sauce man. Did you have a nickname ever? Absolutely not. <laughs> not at all. Man, they, they called me whatever the hell they called me. Every team, every guy had different names. Brett didn't ever call me my name. Brett Favre called me whatever nickname he thought of that day. Okay? Um but it was always just Big Stan or 
you know, Stan, big, big Stan or Stan? So Brett Favre might be one of those, but was there ever a guy that was just hello awkward or kind of corny that you would have never guessed? Like, damn, Brett Favre, this guy's a Hall of Famer, but he's quirky as shit. Like, did you ever have anyone that was just kind of awkward behind the scenes that was a little different than what you would expect them to be after they're just balling performance on the field? Um, I think um, not awkward, but like in a good way, it was 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 uh, Dawkins. Okay. Right, like you see Dawkins outside in, amazing safety, right, right. You know his his favorite uh, um, cartoon is the uh, Wolverine, mm-hmm. right? That was his character. He'd come out and do the Wolverine and you know scream. And on the field, he was a monster. One of the best Hall of Fame speeches I've ever heard. Hall of Fame speeches ever, right? One of the best players. But Dawkins, actually, that man doesn't curse. Never says a cuss word. That man, to my knowledge, doesn't drink. He's a Christian. He's the most devout um, husband and father. That guy, it, it's off-putting. You're like, you know, everything he talks, everything he says is is 100. Like, even in moments where it, it'd be okay to be like, fuck. He, he doesn't curse. You'd hear, him, you'd hear him in practice say, uh, dog it, you know. Dog it, not damn it. Dog it, you know. Or, or shoot instead of shit. Just the the mindset in the heat of the moment to still not say a curse That's crazy. Word, right? That's really him. Like he's really that guy. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, Dawkins. I, I, you know, there's there's a couple guys you, you see on the field um, that are ballers, but then, you know, you see them off the field. They're, like, kind of like nerds. You know, that's, that's I guess, I don't know if that's, that counts. Yeah. But, well, who, who's one that you have in mind? Um, I got Brad Smith, <laughs> New York Jets. Shout out Brad. I used to call him SpongeBob Squarehead. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be like, look at him, SpongeBob Squarehead. That's he funny. Like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> I used to be like, yeah, I used to, no, but Brad, Brad was such a family man, you know, such a, uh, you know, just a straight, you know, every, what you see is what you get. Um, awesome dude, man. Um, but on the field, he's a monster, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was a lot. I, I was very fortunate to be around with a lot of awesome personalities, players. Well, five you know, years, you said. I was in. Yeah, I was in five. I years. mean, that's a long time, right? I mean, obviously, you weren't a starter all five years, but to be around that time, I mean, shit. Yeah, that's, got, that's a I lot. To, also, I got to catch players at the end of their career too. Like, I got to see Lavernius Coles. I got to see, you know, uh, uh, you know. Brett Favre, I got to see Champ, I got to see uh, Ty Law. I was on the team oh, with Ty Law. Yeah, he Ty was Law was a Hall of Famer. So Who was I, the quarterback at Denver when you were there? Um, it just, it just literally just blanked. Jake Plummer? No, absolutely not. Uh, uh, I don't even know. Because it's 2011, 2012? No, 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 sorry. This is super disrespectful. I'm so sorry. Um, what? It was a... This is a CTE moment. CTE's do you real. do you have a big belief in CTE? Do you think that's definitely something oh, that's crazy? Real, yeah. That's savage. Hold on, I gotta, this is this is so disrespectful. I'm so sorry. Did they talk about CTE at all when you were in the K-O. league? Oh, yeah. Oh. Kyle Orton. I'm so sorry, Kyle. If you ever see this, K.O. Because he just came off the Bears. Um, I don't know where he just came from, but Kyle Orton. Kyle was a quarterback. Anytime Kyle threw for 300 yards or more, we won the game. It's a fun Simple fact. enough. Fun fact. But yeah, KO was our quarterback. Tim, we, uh, the following year, we drafted Tim Tebow. That was interesting. The worst year ever. 
That was not the worst year ever. To beat the Steelers, dude. Okay. On a boxed out okay. lob. Come on, man. You guys rushed everybody because it's Tim Tebow. I literally cried. I don't really cry because of sports, but I was so pissed off, dude. My thing is, who goes cover zero? I know, I know. With we, we did it. We did a thing. You could throw DT's the ball. right here. Like, I know, dude. Is, you got DT right there. You know, know cover zero? Like, that, the defense coordinator in that moment, that was a terrible call. Like, come on. Cover Steelers zero. always do weird shit like that, though. We'll cover send the house. Zero, right now. I, know. <laughs> I know, I know. That's like going cover zero. And that was in like his prime, too. Antonio or Julio. Yeah. That was his time. On, his prime. Yeah. Uh, did you guys talk about CTE when you were in the NFL? Was it even discussed no, at all? No. Not at all. It's real, though. Uh, that's crazy that it just like came the out of nowhere and like science real. culture and in, the, in the NFL of like of not talking about injuries is real. Especially th- th- what they really need to pay attention to is. Um, not undrafted, really everybody, because drafted players have the same pressure um, that undrafted players have. I mean, I'd say more so undrafted, but they're still under pressure too to perform. You know, your first rounder, second rounder, you're under pressure to perform. But it's more so the undrafted guys that if I don't perform, I'm getting cut. If you're a third-round draft pick, you have some leeway with the team because you got drafted third round or second round, right? Um, but that, that pressure that's there, if you're undrafted to not be hurt, you know, or not speak up, Hey, you got, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Right. I can't even see where you're at right now, but yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Cause you don't want to get cut. Right. Um, but it shouldn't be that way. You know what I mean? But that's just the nature of how the contracts are set up and how teams are decided. So that type of environment is what breeds the issues of concussion, CTE, mm-hmm. and injuries. I never forget, man. With near Jets, um, I was running down on like kickoff return on the wedge, and I went to turn around and run, and my left hamstring just is like a sniper shot me, like pow. <laughs> gotcha. So I'm like, damn, I just I legit pulled my hamstring. The trainer walked up to me and said, "You all right?" I was like, "Yep." And he's like, "No, for real, you all right?" I'm like, "Absolutely," and just. <laughs> Hobbled to the sideline, finished <laughs> practice. The adrenaline got me through practice. The next day, I walked into training to the uh, um, equip, you know, the um, treatment hella early before anybody was there. My whole leg was black and blue. So this is if I was like a starter. Oh, oh you're you're gonna be out four to six weeks. It's a pulled hamstring, bro. I'm an undrafted player. I'm, I don't. I can't have a pulled hamstring. They're gonna put me on the next Delta flight going west. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, so, I get it. you know, luckily, one of the trainers, I used to go see him every morning, and he would literally gave me a rubber sleeve, and he would tape me up and give me some stuff to rub on there to, like, numb it up. Um, I'd take some ibuprofens, you know, I won't say how much, uh, and I'd go practice. And I looked that year, that year, I got put on practice squad. Well, that's so why imagine I, would... I Imagine I speak up about that injury. I don't get put on practice squad. Well, that's why I always think it's crazy. I mean, obviously, if you're a star player, first round, you know, Chris McCaffrey-like player, and these guys tear their ACLs, and they're, like, walking off the field. I'm like, damn, like, are they just that juiced up on shit? Because, dude, I've torn my knee before, and I couldn't even walk. No, I mean, like, that's crazy. ACL, you tear your ACL, you can, you can, you can That's crazy. Like, Devin walk. Bush, when he got hurt, like, big Steelers player, right? Yeah. And he he just kind of grabbed his knee and was walking off the field, and I was like, ah, I think he sprained his MCL. Like, he didn't tear it. Nah, so if he true. tore it, he wouldn't be walking right ACL, now. ACL, you can walk, because it's, it's the ligament in the middle. It's not the sides. Like, if it was one of the sides... See, I tore my MCL. Right, that's different. I don't know. Either way, those guys are tough motherfuckers, and you get juiced oh, up on sure. some stuff. Absolutely, man. Um, 
so since you went from being practice squad to starter on the Broncos, how does payment work for that? It's like, you're a starter now, here's another check. Do you yeah. still get paid practice squad money? Like, how'd that work out? I mean, so you have your – so if you make it from, like, a futures contract, then you just get put on the minimum, your league minimum. So that at that time, the minimum was, like, 385 So the minimum now is, like, I think, like, 450 or something crazy. But whatever the minimum is, when you get bumped up, you get, you know, say it's 450 Divided by 17, and then that's one week of practice. So you get that that one seventeenth of 450 uh, for that week and every other week that you're active. When you first made it and you got that check, was that like the come up? You're like, oh, baby, I made it now. Or I'm telling you, that was, that was it always a struggle? It was part of the issue. I'm telling you, it was a level of contentment, man. You're the starter, then you get your check, and instead of being 6,500, you know, my first comp, my first check I think was like, uh, like 26,000. I was like, you look at your you know you look at your check and you're used to you remember what There's you some got zeros right? up there <laughs> I was like 26,000 oh I can't wait to go home you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying so it, it changes you but then you know it puts stuff in perspective because I remember I got my check you know my first check 26000 Did you do anything stupid with it? No. I didn't do nothing. I put that in my account. Pray to God. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> but um, uh, I remember uh, one of my boys, Mario, Mario Hagen. He was like, you want to look at my check? I was like, absolutely. I want to look at your <laughs> check. Like, you know, and his was, let's, I, you know, let's just say, you know, his was like, it was like my check times like, like 10, no exaggeration. And I was like, for one week, bro? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, geez. Like, so it just puts in perspective, you know, the, the levels and the hierarchies in there. But that's how society really is. Like every, a football locker room is literally like a mini society where you got your, you know, you got the poor people over here. You're rich over here. You're elite over here. You got your, you know, your union guys over here. <laughs> Your entrepreneurs over there, you know what I mean? You got it, it's all in there, and then how they interact, and the coaches, and the GMs, and all that, that that whole political structure is literally like a little microcosm of society. Well, I like Hard Knocks, right? The behind the scenes of everything. And one of the players this year with the Rams, because they did two teams the Chargers and the Rams, both LA teams. Mm-hmm. And he was talking like, How do I get my locker over here? You know, he's like, Got the homies over there. He's like, What do I got to do? What kind of tackles? What kind of picks? It's totally, they, they like, section you out. <laughs> like, B Dog had two lockers. And he had one locker just for his Wolverine uh, little, little, uh, little toys. He literally had a locker. Like a uh, major league, like the movie. Where... Look, I'm telling you, bro. He had a lot. He had his locker, and then next to it was another locker, just for his Wolverine toys. So imagine like, like a hundred Wolverine toys, from all biggest sizes, pictures, posters, all in this locker, right? You know, and everyone else had just a normal locker, but it's B Dog. He wants an extra locker for his Wolverine toys. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> That's crazy. That's a fun fact that only people who really were on his team know. Um, that he had a separate locker just for his Wolverine stuff. You know what I'm saying? But you can't get that if you're not a good player. The best way I've ever had it put is by Rex Ryan. And I love Rex Ryan, man. If Rex Ryan called me right now and told me to run through a wall, I, I would catch the next flight. 
Is it because he just is a, a, a good with words? He, you felt like he was actually invested in you? The reason I ask is, you know, in the world of social media, there's all these spinoff of, like, what happened back then. Yeah. And they do – it's on Facebook now, but it was for Bleacher Report. Like, the guy, he's always shooting pool with them, and they asked him, like, some crazy shit that happened during their career, right? Yeah. And they had uh, Drell Revis on there talking about his time with the Jets and that they played the Patriots during the regular season. They were all hyped up and they just got fucking floored, like 38 to 3, like Mm -hmm. shouldn't even been on the same field. And what Rex Ryan had done and grabbed the players after the game outside and grabbed a football and fucking buried it. And just like said some shit with words of like this, we're burying everything behind us. Like, let's move forward. This is what we got to do. And then they beat him that next year and then lost to the Steelers in the AFC Championship. Mm -hmm. But he's like, Literally just some weird-ass shit. He's like, there must have been magic in that ball. He's like, I don't know if the ball's still in the ground or what's going on, but he talked us up, and somehow we had beaten the Patriots the next time right. just on some just bullshit, you know, just belief. that belief I'm that we had. You, like, look, the reason why I always will always feel that way about Rex Ryan, and literally, if he called me and was like, Stan, I got this wall I need to run through. Can you help me? I'd be like, bro, I'll be on the next flight. <laughs> I got you, coach. But the reason why I, I, I feel like that about Rex is because – he just he just kept it one he was 100% brutally honest with you but it was from a place of care and concern about not only you but the team and then two um because he was so honest and real you never really had to guess how he felt about you you know what i'm saying and there was no like there was no like like if he had to cut you there was no emotion there in regard to me being you know i might be sad i'm cut but i'm not i'm not like my feelings aren't hurt because cuz rex kept it so 100 with you <laughs> From the jump, you know what I mean? Um, and he just was a real one. That's the best way to describe it, you know? He was a real one. Like, he's a tough guy. Rex Ryan is a tough guy. Like, 100% tough guy, okay? Like, if I had to pick a coach and we're in an alley and we're outnumbered and we got to fight our way out, I'm 100% That's crazy. Pick, picking Rex Ryan. I know, with, if, I know if it's me and Rex in an alley and we're outnumbered, we're going to get out of that alley, you know? And that's, that's who he is. That's who he really is. He's really a tough guy, and he and it shines through, you know. But I remember Rex, the funny story. He was like, he's like, all right, guys, tomorrow the bus leaves at three, and we're like, okay, bus leaves at three, cool. And he's like, and depending on how good of a player you are, we will leave you. I was like, <laughs> I was like, damn. He was like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're, you know, if it's Revis, you know, we might we might wait, you know, 15 minutes, but you know. Be on time. We're like, cool. You know, like, shit like that. You're like, it's funny, but it's also hella true. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if it's a whatever, you know, because I've, I've been on teams where guys came too late to the bus and, and got left. And, you, bro, we're at the pinnacle of the sport, and you can't come you can't come on time to the bus? Like, you're asking to get cut. But he was just 100, bro. Depending on how good you are, we will leave you. Is Revis... We might stay like for 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, that's dying. Funny. You know, so it was funny. Shout out Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan, I mean, hey, I'm not I a swear. big fan of him on TV. No, we could swear. This is rated R, hey, man. But. Listen, Coach Rex Ryan, if he called me, Coach, I feel the same way about him and New Heisel, Josh McDaniels. Those three guys called me, Stan, I need you to run through this wall. I'll be like, all right. Tell them, let me uh, make some arrangements with the girls. <laughs> I'll be on the next flight, coach. I got you because they're just you know they're they're influential. That's crazy. In my career. Um, 
This is always a mixed bag uh, from ex-athletes, but I know that you're aware of football. You have all that knowledge because you've been through it your whole life. But are you still a true fan to this day? Do you still come on Sundays, tune in, watch football? Do you watch college football? Do you watch the Huskies? Or is it kind of just like gone in and out? I watch the Huskies. You know, I'm, I'm a super Husky fan. Right? I watch that it's game tough. religiously. <laughs> just kidding. Um, you know, so, you know, go Huskies, you know. But um, as the, far as whoever their DBs coach is, I don't know if he's left recently. They have a new one now. But, dude, the DBs they've been putting in the NFL are legit. That so, whole secondary. So, you got, you know, you got to give all credit to Coach Jimmy Lake. That's all him? Coach Jimmy Lake. I'm sure he has some good support staff that I mentioned out, but that defense dude, is Jimmy Lake. crazy freaking defensive yeah, oh, yeah. DBs, dude. Lake, crazy. Yeah, look at his resume. Look at Coach Jimmy Lake's resume, and you'll see why he's where he's at. He's awesome. He's good. He yeah. was actually our our uh, coach. He was on our on our staff when I was a player, and then he went to the NFL and came back to coach the Huskies um, on the on the defensive side, of course. And then now he's the head coach. So he's a he's a he's the man. But no, as far as football, like when I when I when I first got done with, with the NFL, um, I kind of I, I kind of stopped watching NFL. Um, it was hard for me because mentally you live in, in uh, not not regret, but you live in what if, and you live in, um, you know, I, I wish I was still there, and you you know you live in memories, and um, it's not a healthy place to be because it's very depressing. You know, your whole identity is based off of, you know, number sixty four, you know, Stanley Daniels, right? But when you retire, now you're just what's hey, what's what's your name? Yeah, exactly. Oh, how you doing? I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm Stanley. Oh, okay, nice to meet you, Stan. Like nobody gives a, a fuck who you are. So that you know, um, you know, your identity being based on being a football player is over, right? I mean, unless you're you know, superstar guys, you know, Hall of Famers, the people will always recognize them. But still, even with them. It's hard because your whole identity is you be based on being a football player. So now when you retire, what are you? Right? So for me, it was hard to watch football initially, you know, coming out of uh, playing. And I, I never really, I would never watch games. I would try my hardest to not watch them. But over the last, like, I'd say like two, three years, I've kind of, you know, gra- gravitated back to, you know, being a, a, a devout fan of the game and, you know, I always support my teams, you know, the Chargers, you know, and um, I've always liked the Chargers, the Patriots. And then for me, I rock with the Broncos, too, because that was a team that, you know, I actually played for. So is it weird now that you're older that all these kids are like literally kids? Cause like, I'm only 28, but it's fucking weird now that I'm older. I'm like, damn, like Donovan Mitchell's my guy, but he's like literally like, you know, or Justin Herbert. Like these guys are babies, man. It's like, damn, no, it's, it's it, it, it really like. You know, it's humbling. You know, it's, it's scary because, <laughs> bro, like, you, you look at him and you're like, like you said, like, this, he's literally 18. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're like, I'm 36. Like, damn. Yeah. You know, like when I was 18, you know, like, like how old was this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Was he born? Like, it's crazy. So, like, it's just one of those situations where, you know, you know, like, uh, like they say, Father Time is undefeated. But it just puts things in perspective, you know what I mean? And, and uh, you know, like I said, it, now I'm, I, I love watching the game and 
people actually hate watching football with me because I don't really have a team per se. Like I, I have my my Chargers. I've always loved the Patriots. I support the Broncos, but I live in Seattle. It's a Seahawk town. So if I'm watching a Seahawk game and they're playing against the Broncos, I'm not rooting for the Seahawks. I'm also not rooting really for the Broncos either. I'm just watching the game as a like a fan of the game. But as you know, if I come watch a game, Steeler game with you, you're rooting for the Steelers, okay? I'll be in the room and the other team would do something. I'll be like, oh, good job. And you'll be looking at me like, what the fuck did you just say, bro? Like, get out of my house. You know what I mean? So for me, I, I watch the game completely different than like a fan per se where, you know, it, it's pro- sometimes it's probably annoying to watch a game with me, if that makes sense. Is there anyone that you see now since you are an offensive lineman, offensive line-wise, that just blows your mind that you're like, damn. Because for me, <clears throat> actually, I'm going to have a segment called For the Haters, which is basically a sports segment that's like the most hated or heated sports debating subjects, and I'll touch, them, touch on them once a month. Ooh. So like uh, the big one is MJ LeBron right now because of LeBron's last championship, yada, yada. So I'm Jordan. completely against that. But I also think that it's not fair because a bigger, faster, stronger, right? The training we have, the science we have, all those types of things. So for you, like, I'm sure, though, you know, being out as long as you have, like, the talent and the way they frame these kids up. Like, I'm an Oklahoma fan. We have a center called Creed Humphrey. He's probably going to be a first-round draft pick in the NFL. And this kid has been doing offensive line camps with professionals since he was 13 years old. Like, Mm -hmm. that kind of preparation and guidance that people have now and, like, AAU basketball is basically a free-for-all the best athletes teaming up, right? Because now I have Twitter, like, oh, bro, you're doing good here, you're doing good here, let's all team up together on the same team, and then, like, they have the best training and the best everything. Do you feel like the level has really taken up since you were in the league, and do you see anyone that you're just like, wow, this guy? I mean, I think that that's the nature of, you know, us as as humans, right? You know, it's bigger, faster, stronger, like you said. I mean, that's going to continue, right? Eventually, it'll for me, it's like, you know, you see all these knee tears, like the, the Petersons and stuff of the world. Yeah. It's like, well, our bodies weren't meant to be this big, this fast, this muscular, this explosive. Like, I right. feel like, is there a limit? But, I mean, who no. knows? But I feel like eventually, like, we can't just no, keep going, right? Eventually, it's going to, like, it's going to plateau because your body has limits, right? Yep. But I don't think we're there yet. I mean, no. you got guys like DK Metcalf running around. That's... When he chased down Buda Baker, dude, I was like, there's got to be kidding me. But, but I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, like the athletes now are, are, are crazy. Right. But you, you really, you, you also have to give respect to, um, the, the, the former eras and the former, um, you know, all the other players before them, they were, they were some freak athletes. Right. You, know, you look at all the amazing running backs in time. You know, you look at, you know, like your your Dorsets and your Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders was a freak athlete. Like, like who's who, what running back is athletic as Barry Sanders now? Mine, no, now, mm-hmm. currently, I don't think there is one. <sighs> I'd almost say Christian McCaffrey, just because no, he no does shot. all around no, stuff. No but shot. No shot. he's the closest too, in my opinion. What though. athlete? What running back is is as is, is good as Bo Jackson? Right well, now. I was going to say when you said him until you said now it was Bo Jackson, but I mean, like, there isn't the same. There's not. Well. You see what I'm saying? Plus, the oh, game's changed that running's not as big, yada, yada. Right, but still, like, Bo, Bo Jackson was, you're not, first of all, you're not catching him. No. Okay. Not tackling him. You're not tackling him. Okay. He, he was elusive. He broke tackles. He ran three. He ran past you. He did all of it. What running back is like Bo Jackson today? There is none. 
Barry Sanders today. No, it is not. What running backs like Emmy Smith? Uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Mm, McCaffrey, <laughs> maybe. You know, catches maybe, the ball, yeah, runs, yeah. stuff. Right? So it's just, it's just yeah. different where, like, yeah, there's some freak athletes today and people are getting bigger, stronger, faster. However, they want to have that if they don't see the freak athletes in their past. No, for right? sure. Like hands down, like, but that that if they were in this era, they would have been unstoppable because the rules are softer now as well yeah. in the NFL. And that's another component that allows that it, that the rules being softer now allows for the athletes to shine more, right? Because, especially on offense. Especially on offense, the rules are way soft. Literally. Um, if you if you tackle a quarterback, you know a foot. On, if you hit him on your on his, his his quad, roughing the passer. I think the the defensive backs have it the worst. Even H- some linebackers, it's so bad, dude. Like hands down, they so, literally have no advantages. So it's just really tough. Those guys have to be the best athletes on the field now, right? right in today's world, like back in the NFL, you could literally punch a man in the face. <laughs> And the ref would just go, hey, stop doing that. Well, before Mel oh, Blount, least, defensive backs could literally just like freaking bend down there tackle someone. Literally, you could literally, literally <laughs> punch somebody in the face and the ref wouldn't even call a flat. He'd just go, hey, man, knock it off. You know, you're picking up your teeth. Like, <laughs> right, I'll get you next time. You know what I mean? Like, that that was a different, the hits that you would take, the punishment, the practice, the field, the field surface, the level of equipment. But still, you still had athletic freaks like Barry mm-hmm. and Bo, right? And I could keep going, yeah. right? So, yeah, it's, yes, the, you know, right now, there's the athletes are getting bigger, stronger, faster. But also, the game has changed. To me, it's a much softer NFL um, than it has, and that's allowing that to happen. For sure. Shine through more. But is there any linemen that stick out for you that you ever saw? I think that the left guard from the Colts. McGlinchey? No. No, that's like Oh, Quentin Nelson. Yeah, that guy's stupid good. Monster. Yeah, dude. You literally pancake someone every He's five freaking like He's runs. A yeah. I think um well, so I like uh, I like the center from the Raiders. Yeah, he's a beast. Really the Raiders have a beefy line right now. Incognito just went out for the year, but Yeah. Richie, I I was my rookie year, I was with I got to play with Richie. Well, I like uh David DeCastro, obviously, Steeler, but he's local Bellevue boy. Listen, listen. David DeCastro is a man. Also, the center from the Steelers. Oh, Pouncey, of course. Is a man, right? And he's been doing it for a long time. <laughs> well, this is what's crazy. If you say at, outside of Ben, if the Steelers were at SOL from one player being out, it's Pouncey because he just leads everything. He runs everything. Without that guy, it's just not the same team. Yeah, Pouncey's the man. He's yeah. been doing it for a long I know. time. He said he won't retire until so, Ben retires, so I'm, I'm hopeful. Done. Yeah. He's been here for a while. So. <laughs> well, I think... Ben really is playing right now because of a few guys like that that he wants yeah, to get a Super Bowl for. Yeah, for sure. But who else? I mean, what tackles are nice. Um, there's a lot. I mean, I think offensive line is probably. I mean, outside of quarterback, is the most p- important position for a front I office. Like, uh, I like uh, I like Hercules Junior on the um, on the uh, Ravens. Big Brown. I don't yeah, know. Uh, Ronnie Staley. No, no, no. no. Uh, Orlando Brown. Orlando yeah, he's Brown. a beast. Junior. Yep. He's a savage. Who else, man? Um, um, I don't know. But, but, but Joe Thomas, he's doing. He did the rocks like uh, competition and stuff, dude. It's crazy I to know. see how much of a badass that guy is. Bro, Joe Thomas never won shit. Is the man though? <laughs> no. like, he's so good. <laughs> I know. When I went to the Cleveland Browns and I got to be around him and watch him, that he is so good. It's like another level of elite. 
it's ridiculous how good he was, man. Iron Man, dude. He's literally it's 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 like a he's literally like a machine. Like if there were like a, a robot, like a left tackle robot. That's the guy. That's Joe Thomas, bro. He's the man. He's and it's, he's as, as cerebral as physical. He's just as cerebral. It's, and he's his he has like a talent level that not many left tackles have. He's, he's one of the greatest left tackles. I agree. Um, now let's get a little bit into the business side. So I love sports. Obviously, we talk NFL for days, yeah. um, but let's move on to really just the entrepreneurship experience you've had, how you've able to land on your feet, you know, really become a man outside of the league. Um, and before we jump into your experience and timeline there, I guess, first of all, how can you explain to somebody, because I've definitely explained it, how does business, entrepreneurship, and just being successful outside of sports relate to the, the sports acumen that you had learned as a child? Do you feel like it's perfectly in congruence? Do you feel like everything that you had learned through the league had set you up for success? Do you feel like it didn't set you up for success? Like anyone who's an athlete aspiring to be pro or, you know, goes to college and maybe doesn't make a pro, like what are the biggest skill sets that you learned and you can attest that's helped you be successful in business and life in general? I think to answer some of those I know questions, that's a very huge question. But. Yeah. Some, of, I mean, some of those questions I think would, you know, yes. So the answer is yes. Like sports, um, specifically football, directly applies to uh, outside the, the, your life that you're going to live outside whenever you finish playing football, right? And the reason why is, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot. But some of the reasons why are, you know, the, the basic concepts that you learn while playing, right? Simple stuff like being on time, um, you know, being accountable, dependable, being a pro, right? And I used to say this all the time, specifically when I was, you know, um, you know, training people, right? You're you are a professional. I used to say this all the time. Right now, you're a pro. You're, you know, you're and pro is short for professional, right? What does it mean to be a pro, right? I'm, I'm and, and being a pro is all. It's like all encompassing. I'm on time. I'm prepared. Right. I have all the, the tools and, you know, specific things I need to do my job. Right. Um, I've taken care of my body. Right. I've, you know, in you know, when you're not an athlete, it's, you know, taking care of your body is, you know, I ate breakfast. I went to sleep. I got rest. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm focused. If I need coffee, I got I got I got here early enough to get coffee and be awake and alert. Um, you know, and then also just, you know, when it comes to preparation, like learning how to actually prepare to do your job, right? Um, and then executing, right, your, your job, you know, and being dependable and being able to have someone count on you. All those things translate directly into um, the real world, specifically, you know, whatever job you do, whether you work in a, uh, a warehouse or if you work at Microsoft, right? All those same things I just said that we learned in football directly correlate into that world. And... You know, if you, you know, are smart and you actually were paying attention in those those meetings where, you know, in those football meetings, when you get into, you know, a boardroom, you'll find that they all, you know, um, are stuff that you can use to really put yourself ahead of somebody that didn't play football or not an athlete that's not an athlete. And that'll give you that edge, that advantage. I mean, I feel like for me, I've never, ever been in a room you know, um, a corporate room or in a job or whatever, where I didn't feel like I had the advantage. And it's because of my experience in football. Was there ever a moment once being done with the NFL 
Were you like, holy shit, what do I do? Or did you just hit the ground running and start doing something? Like, what what, no. what, what was that transition no, like? Sir, no, sir. <laughs> no, when I got done playing in the NFL, I literally, like, roamed around the country for, like, a year. Literally. I didn't know what to do. Because it's like it's like stages of mourning where you know, it literally is like, it's not real yet. Like, like more, it really is because I remember and I go back to this because there's a lot of NFL guys that you know that don't they you know they don't they don't do well with that transition. You know, a lot of depression and you know anxiety that come with it. But for me, you know, first it's like coming to grips and accepting that your career is over. There's no nobody's calling. There's no more. No more contracts, no more tryouts. It's a wrap, okay? <clears throat> then it's like, okay, well, let me check my account, right? Whew. Definitely going to need to do something, right? Um, you know, but, you know, what What am I? You know, who am I, right? Um, what do I want to do? What am I good at? You know, all those questions... You, the answer is, I don't know. But what's crazy is you don't have time to think about it. Like, you have to figure it out immediately. And that is that is really, really difficult. It's almost like, you know, when you finish college and you're, you know, you're 18, 19 years old, you finish college, you know, there's that, you know, that period of time where you're like, all right, now what do I want to do? Like, should I apply for this job? Should I apply for this job? Where should I work? Let me figure it out until you get to whatever your career is going to be, right? Right. That happened to you when you were 18. To me, it happened to me at 25. Right. Or however old I was when I stopped playing. Right. It happened to me five years later than everyone else. So literally it was like, all right, I got to get a job. What do I need? I need a resume. I'm like, how do you how do you make that? How do you do a resume? (laughs) I've never made one before. And then when I made one, my resume was empty. Right. What's your work experience? NFL. Uh, any other jobs? Nope. No experience? Mm-mm. I got a degree. Okay. Well, come back when you get experience. Okay, well, how the hell am I going to get experience if everybody wants me to come back? I love the corporate ladder, baby. Right. So it's 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 tough. I mean, for me, I had no idea what I was going to do. No idea what I wanted to do. I had no idea um, how to even start or even figure it out. I roamed around the country for like a year. I stopped in Chicago for like a month, two months. I... I stopped in uh, Denver for like, you know, a month or two, um, you know, probably like three, four months. I, I still, I had a house in Denver that I, I, I was still renting and I had to, uh, you know, finish paying that, paying the rent on that. And then, um, you know, uh, went to San Diego to visit the family and then, um, you know, came back up to Seattle and I just had no idea what I wanted to do. I, I didn't know. So... Um, yeah, it's, it's not, it is not a, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not easy. You know, the the real world is not easy. And I mean, maybe things have changed. Maybe it hasn't, but no one had ever, like, once you're done with the NFL, there's no like, cool, here's a good exit strategy. Here's what you should start thinking about. It's just like, see you later. Um, at that time, that's how it was. I was like, you know, bye. Like, thanks. You know, you know, here's your flight. Where's your playbook? see it you know <laughs> and you're out of there it's, it's literally that that cut and dry nowadays the nfl players association has so many resources for the kids 
that are coming out. Um, so many benefits and job fairs and um, pro, you know, programs and um, financial support. You know, there if you if you really need it. And so there's so many benefits now. You know, job fairs. Um, they'll help you with your taxes. Help you write resumes. Um, literally. So like nowadays, there's that's there. It, back in th that time when I was coming out, it wasn't like that. Did you have anyone you could lean on, or did you seek other former players and and try to get advice, or did you just buckle down and get her going by yourself? No, man. I I literally, you know, that's the worst part, and every every guy in the NFL knows this, right? There's when, you know, if you're a player that made good money, you know, there's going to be a lot of players when you re that when you retire, they're going to be calling you asking to borrow money. And if you're a player that didn't make money, you're probably one of those players that call somebody and ask them for money, depending on how close you are to guys. And, you know, any good financial advisor will tell you to say no. And they're right. Right. So, you know, it's, you know, you, you don't have anybody. You're in the real world again, just like you're if when you're a rookie it's on you um to figure it out and find your way and um that that part is is what's the hardest because it's like hey man you know i, I got drafted in the fifth round and i'm an nfl you know i played in the nfl for five six years you know um okay cool that's awesome uh so uh can i see your resume <laughs> and <laughs> and you're like yeah, here it is. Nah, you don't have any experience. Bye. Like, no one cares about that. Nobody cares that you're in the NFL, right? This this company, this hiring manager, they could care. I mean, it's cool, but you're not qualified for this position, sir. I'm so sorry. You're going to have to work. You're not going to be able to get this job. But we have another job for like 12 an hour, right? And that's not a, that's not going to that's not going to cut it. So that part of it, not having the resource, not being able to, not knowing what to do and having to figure it out for yourself and not really having anybody to, you know, to, to fall on. Like me, I don't, I don't have mom and dad, you know, there's no mom and dad to, to go back to and kind of figure it out, float you until you figure it out. No. So that part was extremely difficult. Do you feel like you could have reached out to other players and things like that? Or do, is it because people usually do ask for money, it's like almost looked down upon of like, ah, I can't uh, really do that. I, I mean, I definitely did reach out to some of my teammates, but you know, they all said no, which is, you know, as an adult, you know, grown as like, so a 36 year old, you know, um, that's exactly what they should have said. They, if it were me, I, you know, you know, me, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a softy for people in general, but you know, that's the correct answer. I can't help you. I'm so sorry. You know, I have a family, which is true. So, um, but you know, but hearing that, hearing no, is really what you know makes you make a make a choice to stand up or and figure it out. Yeah. Some people go the wrong way. You know, there's some NFL guys that end up stealing and robbing and. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. It's not crazy. It's because they don't know what to do. They don't. They, they don't have any life skills. Right. You, you took me out of college. I was yeah, 17 years old. I went and you made me a killing football. machine you or made whatever. Me a, 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 a superhuman athlete. And then now that you're done with me, you spit me back out in society. Now what do I do? I have no skills. I don't know how to resume. I don't have a job. I don't know how to work anywhere, right? Your ego is the biggest thing in the way because, you know, like for me, I remember when I came out the NFL, you know, one of my best friends, brother Steve Banks, his wife, MJ, was like, Stan, you know, I have a friend that's a, 
uh, um, manager at the Green Apple grocery store, we could probably get you a job like tomorrow. I was like, the grocery store? <laughs> I'm not working at the damn grocery store. Somebody might see me in there. But imagine how sick in the head you are. You're yeah. At that moment, you're homeless. You, you're not living anywhere. I had a nice Escalade, right? I had an Escalade and like, you know, maybe like 20 grand. But you, you need a job, anything. Yeah. Right. And I said, the grocery store. Mm, yeah. So mentally, like, you know, it's it's really really hard. People don't understand the 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 torment in, internal torment you go through when you get done with the NFL, where the NFL is done with you, so to speak. Um, that you go through, and every every player is different. Some players, you know, had a, had a better career. They had a little bit of chunk savings that they could float on. That's not that's not the case for ninety percent yeah. of the players in the league. A lot of people get adapted to the lifestyle and spend towards that lifestyle. Bigger houses, bigger expenditures, right? Yep. Things like that. Yeah, bankruptcy but, is 90%. <clears throat> yeah, like the, is 90%. the broke 30 for 30 was one of the cooler ones that oh, I ever man. saw. That's scary. But uh, it's crazy to think that on an outsider, you know, for me, outside the NFL and probably, you know, majority of America who's not a professional athlete, you see these individuals and you're like, man, like, you know, you just assume because they've made the money and have been there that they have someone that's helping them. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy how, like, just being kind and being, you know, supportive to another human being, how much that could help. Because, shoot, you never know, like, what someone else is going through, whether they've been an ex-professional athlete or not. But it's just crazy how much guidance there really is lacked of, you know, like, I think the biggest problem is education. We should learn those types of things. But it's just crazy how no matter what aspect of life, you know, a lot of people think you made it pro, you're good. You know, you're like, oh, damn, they made enough money. Yeah, they're good. But it's just crazy how far from that it really is. And yeah, you are not a millionaire. No matter whether you're in engineering, you're a college grad, a professional athlete, like you got to figure shit out and you got to find people that can help you because if not, I mean, yeah, there's just no one's going to tell you how to do it and no one's going to just now, give you the recipe. And nowadays it's easier because of social media and the internet and all the resources that are on the internet. Like now you see fuckers making money on TikTok just having fun all day. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn, this guy's probably rich, man. I'm out here right. grinding. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just it's different now. Like, there's more resource. But, but no, you're right. I think education is like the biggest, you know, uh, you know the biggest thing missing from, you know, the, the NFL. Right, I think you know there there needs to be a big emphasis on preparing every single NFL player for the next phase in life because you know the NFL is not for long, yep. and that's like the realest statement to ever say. Average career is like two and a half years, so you know what are you gonna do for the other sixty? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so past NFL, you're you're traveling the world. What landed you going into sales or whatever your first job was? What was your first job outside of it? Sales. Okay. So what what led you up there and um, how did that progress to where we are today? Um, I just remember finally figuring out how to make a resume, found, figuring out how to fill it with actual content that, you know, was honest and real, but would be, you know, exciting to a hiring manager. And, um... You know, I got I had a I had the option to work start working with like I think it was like Liberty Mutual, New York Life, or uh, the sales company that. It's crazy how many ex athletes end up in that bucket, right? Right. So true. <laughs> it's, it's sad. It's true, but um, but yeah, I started working with the sales company and uh, you know started selling 
learning how to sell products, you know, face to face. Uh, I think at the time the client was, I think CenturyLink, and you know, I literally was a year, year, a year ago, I was, you know, playing with the Cleveland Browns, and a year and you know, eighteen, what eighteen months went by, and now I'm knocking on the door, knocking, knocking door to door, selling internet, TV, and home phone. And one, it was humbling. Um, but two, it was also like extremely exciting for me because I was using, um, I was using a different skill set that I didn't know that I had or I never really had to use, right? And that skill set was just communication. It was easy, it was fun for me to communicate with people and, and sell a product. Um, and I could relate to people and I could, you know, I was very successful at it. Um, but, you know, it's a whole nother, it's like I unlocked a, a different level in my body, you know, like, oh man, I could, I, I'm, I could sell stuff. Like, you know, people invite me into a house and, you know, sit for dinner, man. Thanks for the deal you gave me. You hungry? <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, man. Like, Thanks. I appreciate that. You know, so like, um, I just started in sales, you know, I started in sales, you know, uh, like I said, door to door and that, you know, escalated to me being one of the top salesmen in the country to, um, with that client to being a, you know, getting into a management role and training and developing people to do what I knew how to do or was really good at. And, you know, that progressed forward into, um, you know, learning and uh, how to operate, you know, my own business to, you know, opening and operating my own business and sales and working with great clients like uh, AT&T and, you know, Verizon and T-Mobile and, you know, uh, being, a you know, the only sales business in the, you know, whatever city or state that has that type of contract or deal or association with those big name, con um, you know, companies for me, that was, you know, it was exciting. It was hard, you know, it took me, you know, it was literally five years to get to that point, but, um, yeah, that's what I did. And then from there, what did it? What did that leapfrog you to doing what you're doing today? So obviously you're running your own business, you're training and managing other people, which wow. is not an easy feat of their own. I mean, how many employees have you ever had at one time under your own business? Uh, most employees I ever had was about 50. Is it harder preparing for an NFL game as a starting lineman for the Denver Broncos or managing an office of that many people? Managing 50 people is significantly harder. Really? It's a joke, yeah. That's Why is that harder? Uh, because you have 50 different personalities, 50 different mindsets, 50 different um, sets of issues and problems and feelings and emotions and um, different skill sets and, you know, and you and the challenge is you have to get everybody on the same page. You have to get everybody trained and developed. You have to, you know, get everybody performing um, at a high level so that they can not only, you know, bring profit to your business, but also um, be profitable themselves and make money to support mm -hmm. their, their family and you know feed themselves and pay their bills and um you know and then you have to you know we have to make sure that we are doing uh you know uh, all the numbers that we need to hit for our client right the client you know expects a certain level of production and uh that's that's significantly tougher than you know lacing up the cleats to go, go bang some skulls
So <clears throat> that's an interesting fact. I mean, I, I feel like most people would think, oh, well, the NFL is definitely going to be more challenging. If I'm John Doe from Montana and I want to learn how to become an entrepreneur and run my own business, what's a piece of advice you'd give to that individual uh, when you're talking about all these challenges that, you, that uh, will probably come, especially if you need to have employees and like people below you on a day-to-day basis? I mean, if, if you truly want to own a business, like the first thing I would say is, is like whatever industry you're in, like whatever industry you want to be in, right? Go, go find a, uh, find, find an office or, you know, go find a store or something and go, 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 go take the, whatever the lowest job is, right? Or the first job you can get for your skill set, um, and just attack it, right? I think sales is extremely important to um you know to your development to being a business owner right there's so many millionaires billionaires that started off selling you know dictionaries door-to-door typewriters door-to-door whatever and that benefited them and, and made them into you know who they are today like the ability to sell a product is probably the most important skill that you'll need to own, own and operate a business period so you know, for me, you know, that's the advice I'd give somebody like, go, go find a whatever job and learn how to sell, learn how to, learn how to get someone to learn how to turn a, a, a I don't know into a yes or a, a no into a, a, a maybe, a maybe into a, yeah. like, go, go figure that out. And, um, you know, that, that's the, that right there is, is what's going to get you, teach you like the fundamentals of, you know, being a, a successful entrepreneur. And then also, it just comes down to, you know, like we talked about earlier, like, you know, set some goals for yourself, right? Educate yourself. Be proactive about your education, whether it's in college or not. There's ways to educate yourself and teach yourself um, the things that you need to learn to be successful in this industry, right? Like, you know, for me, what I'm doing now is I'm actually, you know, getting into the world of real estate, right? Um, You know, and, and, and... have a business now where you know we're focusing on investing in real estate and flipping houses and buying land and ultimately that's not my goal like my goal is to get into commercial real estate so I can you know buy as many uh, doors as possible my goal is to own 10,000 doors by the time I'm 50 right and if everybody's average rent is say 1500 a month and if I own 10,000 doors you do the math and that's my goal by the time I'm 50 right so how do I get there right Right now, I'm, you know, uh, educating myself with one of the biggest commercial real estate um, training, training, um, uh, not universities, but programs, um, you know, certificates. It's like the gold standard of commercial real estate. It's called CCIM, right? Definitely a little expensive, but if you get that certification, any commercial real estate broker, any real estate, commercial real estate company will hire you on the spot. Because you have that certification. Now, I don't plan on working for any of them, but I plan on being a very successful in that industry. So I'm educating myself in that industry, right? So no one told me to do that. I researched it, right? And once I researched it, I found it. I said, oh man, everything I need to learn, they teach. And this happens to be the gold standard in um, you know education. If you have this, any investor that you want to work with will work with you. Wow, what are your qualifications? Well, I have a certificate from CCIM. Right, I'm a certified commercial real estate professional, um, and you can really stop there. Oh, really? CCIM? Okay, cool. Let's talk the numbers. Right, all the 
the <laughs> qualifications and, you know, are you qualified is out the door now that I have this. So how do you, you, you can do that in any industry you want to be in, right? Whether it's, I want to start my own plumbing, plumbing company, which is a great trade. I have a friend of mine um, that played football with me at Washington. He started a plumbing company. He's, he's making, he's a millionaire, right? How do I be, a, how do I open a plumbing? Well, you know what? Go f- look up your nearest plumbing company and, and ask them to <laughs> hire you. Ask them to hire you and go, go to trade. They'll, they'll probably sponsor you to go to trade school or go to a trade school. They'll probably, you know, if you go to the union, the union will pay you to teach you how to be a plumber. They'll pay you 20, 21, $25 an hour to teach you how to be a plumber so that you, they can send you on union jobs to these big sites because they need plumbers or electricians, right? And if your goal is to be an owner, then cool, that's your goal, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And be, just be proactive about it and attack it. Yeah. And then, and then the last thing I'll say on that to this question is, man, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? Like, I don't have to, you don't have to do it the, the conventional way that everyone does it in the movies, okay? <laughs> Like there's way there's more ways that you can way more things uh, way or avenues that you can go down to get to your goal that makes sense right I don't have to go to a four year university to 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 do this right I don't have to uh, I don't have to go to CCIM to be educated in this right there's there's more ways that's just the avenue I chose right so it's just you know it, it all comes down to again just mindset goals you know being humble. Right, attacking you know your goals, the goals you set for yourself, um, and and you'll be successful, man. So from sales to real estate, I mean, real estate technically is sales, but did that come from just a pivot in your vision? Did that come from just not a better opportunity for where you were aligned in life to hit goals that you wanted to come, to do? Like, obviously we live in Seattle, right? You can't buy much of a house here, less than a million dollars. The demand of real estate is pretty crazy uh, because there's jobs like mine that are software sales and there's a lot of demand, even though it is COVID and especially with the work from home capabilities that companies are offering right now that, you know, I live in a neighborhood called West Seattle you know, we have a bridge shut down here, like traffic's not very smooth, there's a lot going on, but people are selling their homes more for than what they're listing them at because the demand's so high and people still want to live here. It's like, obviously, this is a real estate hotspot. There's probably a ton of competition. You know, I don't know too much about this um, certificate and training that you're going through, but how did that pivot happen and why real estate? I mean, for me, the I, I just asked myself a question about like our society right now, right? Like, so what's an industry that no matter what will happen, what can happen now, in the past, or in the future, that will never go away, right? And there's only a couple industries that, you know, if you name, if you think about that question, um, you know, will really fit into the gap that will survive, right? So key example, we're in COVID-19, right? So the, the <laughs> restaurant industry, done, okay? Oh, so many the, uh, gyms shut down. Um, you know, all these companies are now, you know, have people working at home. If you own an office building, you're upside down in your mortgage right now. You're trying to sell this building. Okay. Um, bankruptcies out the door, right? All these other industries are failing, but what's an industry that is still thriving right now, right? Tech. Yep. Tech's never going nowhere. Right. Um, what's another one you can think of? 
I mean, I just take real estate because obviously home real, values increase. Real estate. And there's a lot of people that aren't going to bars and spending stupid money that are saving money and buying houses in but different it also neighborhoods. Comes down so. to this. Like, no matter what happens in the world, you're always going to need somewhere to live. You're always going to need a roof over your head, whether it's a house or an apartment, um, you know, whatever. Whether you're renting it or owning it, you're always going to need a place to live. So for me, especially during COVID, I'm like, this is the industry I want to be in. But I didn't want to be a real estate agent selling houses, right? I didn't want to be a broker selling buildings, right? I want to be the guy buying the houses and buying the buildings, right? So how do you do that? You start at the very bottom, right? And work your way up, which is it's the same throughout the whole conversation today that we had. From football to starting a job to now here we're talking about this. You have to be humble. You have to be hungry. You have to have goals. And you, you start right at the bottom and you work your way uh, you know, up as fast as you possibly can. You educate yourself. You surround yourself with resources. You attack it. You... Um, you know, you make sure that you do things the right way. You, you know, you have some focus about you. And um, that's literally, you know, why I decided to pivot to real estate. You know, you're sitting at home. You're like, man, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm going to do what I've, I've always had this thought to get into real estate. I never know how. I knew I didn't want to be a real estate agent, you know. But, you know, I want to be an investor. Um, what's that mean? You know, what do investors do? What do they buy into? How do you get these deals? Right. So then from asking all these questions, I started digging into the education. I started looking, listening to people on the, on YouTube, like Grant Cardone and, um, you know, all these, you know, these people, you know, my guy that new in here in Seattle, shout out that new in. Um, but, um, yeah, man, like, you know, for me, that pivot was easy. You know, I just, and have you been able to surround yourself with a good group of people that are aligned in real estate or has it all just been kind of solo research, just diet, you know, going yes, full in? Yes, absolutely. So I have a, a, I have a, I say I have a pretty good solid network here and, you know, you just, you just, you know, you usually, you lean on your network and, you know, you reached out to people that are in, that are already have commercial uh, real estate companies, thriving businesses, you know, thriving, uh, um, um, uh, practices or, you know, firms. Um, I've, called just about all of them, you know, 10, 20 times. I've met with them several times. They've told me their journey, how they did, what they did, how they got to where they got. Um, they gave me advice on what I should do. Um, you know, I, I've, I, I've really leaned on my network in that way. And how important would you say that is? It's paramount. I mean, you, you, you can't do things by yourself. And it's like, there's that phrase, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So, you know, how do you figure that out? You, you have to really be hun hungry, ask questions, you know, seek information. Um, you know, tr you know, you have to try to do things and fail. Mm -hmm. um, you have to attempt to, um, you know, uh, hit your goals. You know, you can't just write them down. Actually, try to uh, try to hit them. Um, and what happens is you'll fail, and you'll go, "Oh man, like, why did I fail? Oh, this is why. You have no idea how to do this. Well, how do I do this?" Well, man, let me figure out who knows how to do this, right? Who, you know, oh, how'd you learn? Oh, you did this? Great. Okay, what do you suggest I do? Thank do you, you ever feel like that conversation's awkward? And if it has ever been awkward, how have you overcome it? Or how do you give people advice to make sure that's not awkward? Because for me, that's very simple. 
but a lot of people, I don't know if it's, you know, introverted or whatever. It's just like, they, they can't come to that. Like I can't ask for help or, you know, I, I don't know if it's ego or what it is, but they're just too afraid to do so. And for me, I can guarantee you I want to be where I was if it wasn't for individuals, you know, like yourself and other yeah. people that I had come across. Yeah. So how, how would you recommend the advice to just make it not a big deal or, you know, make it not as awkward, I guess. <laughs> just, under, just understand like that, that, like the worst thing that someone can say to you is no. And if that's the worst case scenario, then it should never be awkward, right? And at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with you seeking information, right? Like, People respect it more than people anything, respect right? It more than, and if they don't, then that's not the right person you need to be talking to, right? Like if, if you genuinely come to somebody and go, hey, man, can you teach me how to do this? You know, they'll either tell you yes or no. And then if it's yes, it's yes, but this is, this is how it has to be for me to teach you. Cool, right? So, like, it's hard, and yes, it is awkward initially for everybody that's listening to this and who's thinking about it or whatever the case may be for yourself, but... Remember that that's in your head, right? There's nothing wrong with seeking information. And remember, it's not like they're going to beat you up if you ask the question. It's literally just worst case scenarios. No, I can't help you. Okay, thank you. And I'll ask this question without stealing the answer, but if you have hungry, motivated individuals that are asking you questions and wanting to be successful like yourself, how does that make you feel? And what's how do you usually want to respond? I mean, people genu- you know, usually uh, are excited by that group of people coming to them. Right. Unless you're just a, you know, like the douchiest douchebag. <laughs> but um, that usually excites people that have knowledge that, you know, man, this kid's hungry. Right? And sometimes we work so hard to get to where you want to be. You're like, hell yeah, I want to like, like, I, I don't know, like where this has come from. But some people think it's just like people have their own secrets and they don't want to give them. It's like, no, dude, no, like no, no, we no. all work fucking hard. Like, let's be successful no, together. Some people like that in the world. They like to hoard information. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? And I know sometimes it's like, you know, you feel like you have this secret, but there's nothing new under the sun. And I learned that from my grandma. There's nothing new under the sun. This little secret you think you have, it's been done before, right? In a different way, right? But it's the same thing. It's just new for you, right? But information is not meant to be uh, to be kept. It's, it's, it's meant to be shared. Does that make sense? So, and truthfully, there's, there's more benefit than sharing and developing and teaching somebody than there is in keeping it yourself. Yeah, I, mean, I don't care what aspect. When it comes to making money, you're going to make more money if you share your information, right? You know, you're going to make more money if you have more people on your team. You're going to be more successful if you help more people in your company be successful, right? So, you know, hands down. So when we talk about the excitement of, you know, providing back for me, it's always nice because... When someone asks you for advice, you almost go through some of the tricks of the trade that helped you be successful, and it almost like you refresh yourself on it. Like, oh shit, you should do this. I haven't been doing that. Damn, like I got to get back on my game. You know? Yeah, it makes you feel good too. And even doing these podcasts, like hearing, you know, you're starting at real estate back from the bottom again. It's like, damn, yeah, like I'm starting up this podcast back from the bottom again. I got to keep that hunger. I got to keep going and like really get my goals and shit together, or else like it'll just be something else, and then you got to start somewhere else at the bottom again. Right. I mean, you know, at the, end of, at, the, at the end of the day, like, you know, it comes back to having that understanding, accepting it, though. Right. Like, OK, then I'm going to start over. No, you haven't really accepted it if that's your if that's how you're exactly acting. once you accept it. like, OK, I got to start over. Cool. Right. Now I know what to do, though, because I've already gone through it in other industries. And then it all like like you said, it all really kind of ties back to sports. Right. And you go through 
going through high school, college, NFL, then you get to whatever industry you're finally in. All these same lessons are going to translate over here. Now you know what to do, except that you have to start over at the bottom and attack it. And how have you been able to be, been able to consume starting over so many times and be okay with it? Is it that those skills you know you could translate and it'll be easier this time, or is it just you feel like it's something you have to do and you're ready to rock with it? I mean, it's just, it's just goal setting, you know. Like me, I started off, you know, I took some other jobs that sales jobs that I didn't really like, and you know, like I said, I, you know, you go from owning your own company to doing other things, and you just, you know. You just have to be real with yourself about what you really want in your life. And, um, you know, for me, it's I have no problems starting over, you know, at the bottom uh, working for my own company, if that makes sense. Right. It's different when you're working for somebody else. But when it's for you, you know, that's a different level of freedom and um, and, and uh, peace of mind. That's a whole nother ball game. That's for sure. I know that that's why I'm doing this. And uh I think everyone should always think about, you know, something that they can control and something they have their skill sets for because, yeah. you know, whether you feel like you're doing one thing and you're just going to do it, usually that's not the case. You'll learn these skills from all these experiences, right. fail forward, and you can apply that into something and make it really great. Yeah. Um, if you were able to give the audience like a life hack or a tip on just the life we live in today and, and, and how to strive forward and stay motivated, is there any good like life hack tip that you feel like you've learned through all those experiences that you've implemented that could definitely be relatable to anybody in any situation? Um, I would tell people to, uh, to, to truly believe in yourself, right? Um, to not, to remove anybody in your life that's negative, right? And there's a difference between somebody being real with you and being honest with you than being negative, that makes sense. Because you need people in your life that are going to tell you um, the truth, right? The good, bad, and ugly. That's not somebody being negative. Um, but the people in your life that are truly negative, they're not contributing to your life, they're, they're, not, they're not supportive to what you're trying to do, they're, they're not trying to help you or support you mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever. Those people remove them from your life um, and truly believe in yourself. And throughout your experience, have you ever had a the most humbling moment? Like, was was there a moment, whether it's sports or business, now getting into a new, you know, industry in your thirties? Like, has there been a moment where you've just feel, fully been humbled, and you can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, there's a time where I knocked on this guy's door in West Seattle, or not even West Seattle. Where was it? I think it was like um, I forgot where it was, but. I knocked on this guy's door and I'm, you know, I'm selling him like TV, internet and home phone. And, uh, I go upstairs. He goes, come in, man, go upstairs. You know, let's talk about this. And I'm like, cool. I walk upstairs and his roommate, as soon as I walk in, his roommate looks at me and he goes, bro, are you Stanley Daniels? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Stanley Daniels, like from UW. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, he pulls out like a ball and he goes, Stanley Daniels like to sign this ball. And I'm like, I look at the ball and I'm like, yeah, that's my signature. And he's like, Stanley Daniels that played for the New York Jets. And I'm like, yeah, that's my pick. That's me. And he goes, and the Broncos. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, 
What the hell are you doing at my door selling me TV and internet and phone, bro? What happened? That's what he said to me. What happened? And in that moment, whatever, however the fuck I thought I was in that moment, it was like, <laughs> right? And I humbled myself and I told him exactly what happened. Hey, man, I retired. You know, I started life over. You know, um, we're not all millionaires. And, uh, you know, I had to get a job for myself and here I am. And, and in that moment, just saying those words and explaining, it was probably the most humbling, hardest, Dang, yeah. real, you know, um, just, you know, bring you back down to earth moments that I've ever had. But yeah, I'm glad it happened. For sure. You know, because it, it really puts things in perspective, you know, for me moving forward, right? That's crazy. He knew exactly who you were and everything. Had your Bro, signature. yeah, everything. <laughs> yeah, he literally had. It's, it's just, it was like a setup. I thought like MTV Punk. He had like he had like the team picture from the Jets, the team picture from the Broncos, my, the ball signed, you know, by the Huskies. A photo of me in my Husky uniform. I was like, bro. He's like, yeah, I've, I've been a fan for a long time. And I was, I just was like. Damn, you know, <laughs> whatever ego you thought What's you the had, internet? whatever ego you thought you had, it was gone at that moment. Kicked in the gut. But you know that you need to be humble. You need to be humbled. Last thing I want to bring up is quarantine. Um, I think everyone's life's changing. You're a father of how many? Three. Three. Um, I could imagine being a parent through all this time, and and your kids are what ages? Uh, what ten? Um, and two. So trying to get them to manage this crazy life, um, you know, obviously the 10-year-old's in school, I'm guessing. Like, that's all. Like, I couldn't imagine being in school and, like, not being in school. You know what I mean? Like, holy. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, so for me, it's, 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 it's really tough, you know, and people don't understand what parents go through. Somebody's going to have to stay home and, you know, do that deal with the, with the education. We're not, every, every parent's not a teacher, a trained teacher, so that's hard on parents, and it, all, it usually falls on mom, right? Um, but you know, this is some tough times, and you know, it's just what we have to go through. And you know, it changes when you have a, one child, but when you have multiple children, it's even different. And are they identical twins, like no, born the same day? No, they're they're fraternal. Oh, okay. So born the same day, just not identical. But that's still even crazier because you're dealing with the same thing twice the action, right? That's <laughs> crazy. Um, but as a father, what are some routines or some things you're doing to just drive through? I mean, like for me, I'm definitely having to find myself doing more morning and night routines to keep myself motivated because technically my bed's right there. Yeah. I, this is a work from home station when it's sure. not the podcast station. Sure. And then after work, I have the 82 inch TV sitting on the chair. So I could easily just roll out of bed, sit my ass on a chair, stare at a screen all day. After work, go sit on a nice, comfier chair with yeah. a bigger screen all day. And it, yeah, and it's like, it's not too big. It's beautiful. It's, entirely too big. it's maybe too big for the apartment, but it's definitely not too big. I'm telling you, watch some shit on there. Mind blowing. But, anyways, like, I'm forgetting like simple things like I got to be active when I'm commuting and I'm doing things. I'm moving. I got to keep my body in motion. And like, yeah. I'm really having to do stuff to hold my mental game and my attitude the ways that I know that Shane needs to operate. Right. And if I don't do those things, you could roll out of bed, rush for work, you know, stare at these screens and just kind of be upset and have a shitty attitude through your day. So I'm definitely having to adapt. And I think a lot of people that will be tuning in has probably had to adapt. So yeah. what are, do you have any morning night routines or anything that you're really striving for that's think, helping you? 
I think it's different when you have children because when you have children, it's not about you anymore, right? It's about At the all. kids. <laughs> so you could you could internally be having a bad day, but when you see your kids, it's hi, honey. You know what I mean? I have to be you know on the on the spot for the kids. So and that applies day to night, night to day. You know what I mean? So for anyone out there that has no children, I think it's very important to get a routine for yourself. Um, and really, really be, really stick to it, you know, um, you know, whether it's an exercise, you know, routine weekly, um, making sure that you're not just being a couch potato, especially in COVID, it's kind of hard, right? Even if, if it's getting up and just doing like a couple laps around the block, like do something daily, um, for yourself. Also, you know, the night routine is probably what 95% of people like, you know, kind of kills people because it's night, you're at home all day. You're trying to unwind and relax, but you're at home all day. So do you really need to unwind and relax? Because you really never, you know, were wound up per se because you were at home in your pajamas, right? So, you know, at nighttime, make sure you go to sleep timely, right? Make sure you eat dinner and be done with food after dinner, right? Like, um, because you're going to wake up and be, you know, groggy, you know? So it's, I think it's very important to get a routine for yourself. I mean, me, it's different because I have children. So we have our, you know, bedtime routine and, you know, morning routine, breakfast routine, you know, take the kids to grandma, all that stuff. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, especially during COVID, you know, it's extremely important to physically write down like a routine for yourself and actually stick to it. And since you have the kids and the wife at home, do you feel like that personal connection help gets you through, or do you guys see yourself trying to seek out person? Like I know I'm FaceTiming most of my friends now instead of texting yeah. them and trying to get that. Per- you know, I'm an at-home guy though, so like yeah. I'm bored as shit and I'm like trying to get some personal interaction. Uh, well, or do you feel like you just get more time with them to really put cool that in? It's cool you have more time with the kids um, because usually, you know, uh, if I work a typical job, I would have to be away and then only see them at night in the morning. So it's good to be home with the kids. I think a lot of people really should cherish that if you have children, but. Um, I think for for what what we do is every weekend we like to go do an activity, whether it's going to like a petting zoo or walking at a park or um, uh, some type of family activity outside, right? Um, and then you know I think uh, re- you know picking a family member or a friend and responsibly going to see them somewhere, right? Like maybe we meet up outside, socially distanced, but just get that interaction, that face to face interaction somewhere. That's cool. Like you, you're right here at Alki. Hey man, meet me at Alki. You know, you know, let's socially distance or whatever. But at least I'm talking to another person mm-hmm. outside. Like that type of interaction is important. So I would suggest that to to everybody. That's what we do. We should, every weekend we do something family oriented outside. Other than that, man, any anybody you want to shout out? Anything you want to last say last to the the podcast universe here while we have you? Um. Shoot, I'll say, man, go Huskies, right? Um, uh, unfortunate for the Cougs that we couldn't have an outfit <laughs> this year. Um, uh, other than that, man, uh, be- believe in yourself, um, set goals for yourself, take care of yourself, um, and, you know, try, try your hardest to, you know, constantly try to be a better version of yourself every day. Um, you know, and, 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 and you know what, you know, one of the things that I'll say, like, uh, from the famous, uh, Nipsey Hussle, you know, you need to have a, uh, you know, you need to have a, 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 a code, you need to have like a backbone, you need to have a, um, you know, something you live by, something that you actually, you know, that, that's you, 
that no matter what happens, um, this is what this is what I'm gonna do. So I think that's really important. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming in. Yes, sir. I think everyone's gonna love hearing your story, and we'll definitely share some stuff on socials. If you're slinging real estate out here, we'll put your stuff up as well if that helps at all. And uh, thanks again. I really appreciate it, man. I'm excited to see see your podcast grow. Um, you know, and if you ever need anything, you let me know. We'll probably have you back on again. I'm sure there's a lot uh, more we could talk about. Yeah, so. yeah, bring me back for the MJ. LeBron exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cause, cause we all know that it's Jordan. <laughs> Thank you.